Widzisz te gruzy na szczycie, tam wróg twój się kryje jak szczur. Musicie, musicie, musicie za karb wziąć i stroić. Hello, welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films. And contemporary classics. <laughs> my name is Chris, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host Lee. Hello. How are you going, Lee? <sighs> You're tired. Yeah. You were you were not in the mood for this film no. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> this was tough. <clears throat> Welcome. Yeah. This is this is the woes of the collection. Sometimes you're like, you're like, yeah, I could watch a movie, just not. This movie. I think um, we're trying to squeeze these three films in. Yeah, and it's Friday after a big week at work, and it's just like, uh... yeah, it's it's just not the ideal time. Fridays, as you've said, it, it, it Friday's the peak time to have a few drinks and record a commentary for yeah. Patreon. A fun movie, yeah. Yeah, whereas like Sunday, Sunday Arvos are the nice. Let's let's sit and watch three war films by Andre Vajja. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Uh, but before we get into that, have you seen anything else good this week? Non-Criterion? Anything jumping to mind? Uh, I watched the Tina Turner doco. Mm-hmm. That was really good. I enjoyed that. I've heard nothing but good things about yeah, that. Yeah, I recommend I, it. I really want to check that one out. What about you? Any dentist stories for us? Uh, no yes. dentist stories. No, I, I'm not going back. He keeps co- calling me, actually, and being like, <laughs> yeah, you're coming for a checkup, and I'm just like, I will call you. <laughs> you're expensive and you, you're painful, and but your stories are worth it, yeah. so... Um, but no, I, I watched, uh, I've, I've been on a bit of a kick. Um, I'm working my way through the podcast blank check again. Um, just shout out to that amazing podcast. Um, so I've been watching a bunch of Ang Lee films this week Ooh. and, uh, man, the fucking ice storm slaps. That oh. movie is amazing. Yeah. That's with, um, Elijah Wood as a kid. Yeah. Yep. And Christina Ricci like and Tobey Maguire. And yeah, I've seen that a few times. Kevin yeah. Klein, Sigourney Weaver, Joan Allen. Ah, oh, such a fucking beautiful, amazing film. I love that one so much. Sense and Sensibility as well. Holy shit. It's amazing. Oh my God. I love that movie. Yeah. It's pretty goddamn good. Yeah. We might need to, I'm thinking, do some either some, Jane Austen. Well, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> thinking over on the Patreon, let's do some like Jane, either some Jane Austeny stuff or Charlie. like some Ang Lee, maybe. I don't know. Because oh, okay. I know you've never seen Brokeback Mountain. No, I haven't. Well, yeah. I saw the sex scene when I was flicking through Foxtel um, at my nan's house, and Nana and I were. <laughs> what's, what's Heath Ledger doing in his hand? <laughs> He's spitting Gross. for lubrication, <laughs> um, yeah. Yummy. Um, but yeah, so I've just been on a bit of a kick of Ang Lee films, and I'm thinking, mm, that could be some stuff for the Patreon, yeah, maybe. Definitely. It'd be fun to sit and watch some Jane Austen-y stuff. I'm glad. I love you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is the best Jane Austen adaptation? In terms of film? Yeah. yeah Sense yeah. and Sensibility, Yeah, okay, sure. so that's still the... I mean, I really like the Pride and Prejudice... BBC series from like the nineties. Is that the one with Colin Firth? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that's every I think every woman like our age and older is just like that's Yes. That's a thing. Sexy. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm. But no, definitely Sense and Sensibility is just a really good film. Yeah. Yeah. Well I mean, yeah, fucking Angley and Emma Thompson, like what else do you need? So, yeah, Emma yeah. Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> I'll agree. I'll yeah. give her a <laughs> Um, but before we get into this week's episode, uh, catching up on some emails from you guys, we love, as we always say, we love hearing from you guys, your thoughts on the films and things. It's, it's always great to hear from the listeners. 
Um, so we had another email from our good friend Andrew, a.k.a. Captain Internationalist, uh, who was catching up on a couple of episodes, and he, uh, he uh, had never seen Young Tallest before. Mm. And he really liked it. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, he said that watching the interview with uh, Volker Schlondorf on the Criterion disc actually helped gain him like some perspective and some understanding going into yeah. the film. And this is something, um, because we were just watching off of the Criterion channel and we didn't dive into the features. No. Um, he said the interesting bit was that all the kids except the actor who played Taurus were discovered in schools and discos. Uh, yes, <laughs> like <laughs> young discotheques. <laughs> um, but they couldn't find a Bassini, like the kid who gets bullied. Uh, then the kids said, hey, there's this kid that we pick and pick on and tease at school. Oh, God. And then when Schlondorf met with him, he was a timid Polish Jew, and he was just absolutely shocked that, like, wow, we're, doing, we're making a film that's like a metaphor for World War II, and, like, you're literally living this? Holy shit. Um, and then Andrew was given a recommendation of, uh, it reminded him of another 80s film called The Chocolate War, which I've actually managed to track down a copy of, and I'm uh, oh. going to give a look-see based on your recommendations. So nice. I'm uh, looking forward to that. But uh, So, yeah, like, we, we love hearing from everybody. Send us emails. Let us know your yes, thoughts. It's great. It. It's always nice to hear other people's context and how it's they nice enjoy the films. It's nice to know that someone else is out there. <laughs> <laughs> We know, we know you're out there. We see the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> but let's be honest. The amount of times that I've ever written into a podcast I listen to is not much. So, yeah, it's, yeah. we get it. Um, but on that note, should we dive into this week's film? Zuh. must. Yeah. Well, at this stage, we've only watched the first one, so I can't comment too much. Yeah, previously, whenever we would have box set episodes, what Tom and I would do is we'd watch all the films separately and then kind of come together. But given that both mine and Lee's work schedules are just nuts at the moment and things, mm. um, the the possibility of retaining information oh, of films... Oh, man. I can't... <laughs> I'm like, what's young Taurus again? <laughs> yeah. So we've decided what we're going to do is we're going to get together and record, watch the watch a film, record, then like the watch time. the next one, record. record, and yeah. So but as all a, as one episode, we'll release it all as one episode, but it's going to be chopped and changed in the in the edit here in the recording. Um, but yeah, so that way we're able to give a fresh perspective. <laughs> I guess it's going to be interesting. I reckon like our. Um... <laughs> Mood. Our moods will alter. Oh, yeah. Because if you'll hear, like, right now, it's, like, nearly 9 o'clock at night on a Friday. We've both had full work weeks, and we're just like... Swatch this. Ah, it's what generation is. Yeah. And the next one's like, so a canal. This thing Yeah, is- yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can chart our emotional, like... Yeah, you can pick where we are in the week. <laughs> but uh, on that note, uh, what we are discussing in this episode is... Three war films by Andre Vizier. Uh, I am going to read the back of the box set to give a little bit of context on this one. In 1999, Polish director Andre Vizier received an honorary Academy Award for his body of work, more than 35 feature films, beginning with A Generation in 1955. Vizier's next film, Canal, the first ever made about the Warsaw Uprising, won the Special Jury Prize at, the, at Cannes and launched Waja on the path of international renown, a status secured with the release of his masterpiece, Ashes and Diamonds, in 1958. These three groundbreaking films helped usher in, Polish, in the Polish school movement and have often been regarded as a trilogy. 
but each boldly stands on its own, a testament of the resilience of the human spirit and the struggle of personal and national freedom. Hmm. Interesting. I definitely got that in this film. Yeah. So, you've never seen any of these. Nah. You'd never even heard of Andre Bajer nah. before. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Andre Jahuza? I'm yes. glad you pronounced his name. That's yes. Good. <laughs> yeah, how would you? Yeah, I'm not, that's mean. <laughs> Wajda. Yeah. Um, so this, uh, this is a box set that I uh, purchased from Criterion on an absolute blind. Mm. I had not seen any of these, but I'd listened to a podcast and heard um, both Joe Dante, the amazing filmmaker, and Bill Hader just absolutely raving about these. Did a little bit of research and was like, you know what? Fuck it. I found someone selling this pretty cheap on eBay, and so I just pulled it and pulled the trigger and bought it. Score. I had not seen a generation before tonight. It was the one film in this box set that I had not dived into. Is there a reason? Um, mainly because I, I knew I'd heard and known so much about Ashes and Diamond and Canal before, and uh, so I was like, all right, I want to watch those two. Uh, I've, uh, to the extent that I've watched Canal twice now already. Oh. Um, yes, we'll, we'll save that for later in the episode, yes. I guess. Um, and just for one reason or another, I'd never gotten around to watching A Generation before, um, despite its brisk 87-minute runtime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, should we get into it? Should we? Yes. Part one. Here we go. A Generation, uh, from 1955. Statch is a wayward teen living in squalor in the outskirts of Nazi-occupied Warsaw. Guided, guided by an avuncular communist organiser, he is introduced to the underground resistance and to the beautiful Dorota. Soon he is engaged in dangerous efforts to fight oppression and the indignity and indignity, maturing as he assumes responsibility for others' lives. A coming-of-age story of survival and shattering loss. A generation delivers a brutal portrait of the human cost of war. Hmm. Not the most brutal I've seen, though. No, no. Maybe it's... back then it was pretty brutal. Yeah, 1955. Um, definitely something that... Confronting in the way of its, its violence, I guess, and mm. on-screen violence in particular. Mm. Um, but, yeah, this... Like we kind of prefaced earlier, not the... No, there are some nights you're in a mood for a movie and others you're not. This is a very kind of subdued and serious film, I would say. Yeah. And a little bit difficult to follow. Yeah, it 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 starts off so fucking cool um, with a four and a half minute amazing continuous shot. Yes. That sets up the slums. The slums of like the world that these characters live in, the outskirts of Warsaw, and it starts. I don't know how he does these shots, and, and we'll see it. Uh, yeah, and we'll see more of them in the next two films as well. But it starts high up on a crane that swoops across slowly over an entire village, like the outskirts mm -hmm. of the village, then down to the ground, and then somehow it turns into a steady cam shot. Before the Steadicam was even invented. Yeah. Like, and introduces us to the world and our main protagonist. Yeah. And it's an unbroken shot that goes for th four minutes, 40 seconds, I want to say. And it's incredible. Do you know what? I'm so glad you noticed that. <laughs> I was, like, trying to... <laughs> I was looking at the titles and trying to see if, like, I could pronounce the words. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's where you notice, like, hey, Roman Polanski's in this yes, movie. Yes, we did. <laughs> 
Um, Claire actually noticed that. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you, fo- you were paying attention. And I think that is mainly because I've watched Canal twice. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. There were some pretty cool shots for a first-time filmmaker. That's what makes this film, I think, it, it, it's like a weird double-edged sword of a movie where yeah. it is the craft that went into making it, in particular by first-time filmmakers, yes. is... Fucking next level. That's like, it. it's incredible. Uh, the editing choices, the pacing, the lighting, the cinematography, everything is amazing in that regard. The story is... Boring. Yeah. Really boring. Yeah. So, what... I just I just didn't connect with um, Stutche, or Stutch. I, I didn't... I, I was piecing together his character as the movie went along, and I love the ending... Um, then I was trying to work out his little posse of friends and okay, okay, he's going to work. Yep. He's going to get a job. Okay, cool. That's, and then like, just things just like happen and you're just like, well, yeah. what, 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 why? I, I get it the sense. Cause this is also based off of a classic Polish novel as well. A post-war mm-hmm. novel. Um, I, I get a real sense that this is a film that was made by a group of, uh, you know, late twenties first-time filmmakers in Poland being like, hey, we're going to adapt this very Polish story it without necessarily an idea that it is going to be, say, watched by three people on a Friday night in Melbourne, Australia. Like, it, it, it not seems... Not for us. No, well, not necessarily that, because I think the overall themes are fairly universal, but I think it is... It's Polish people telling a very personal and Polish story, so it's not making any effort to hold our hand as an audience. Uh, And I would imagine that when this came out, it would be really relatable for a lot of people. Probably, Especially 1955. And I would say even outside of Poland, you know, a lot of people across Europe would probably have similar experiences to this. Yeah, but we are so far removed personally from this environment and this type of story that it's when it doesn't hold your hand... And that's not... It sounds a bit reductive, but it's... I know what you mean. It doesn't go out of its way to explain itself. Yeah. I mean, it definitely does emotionally and thematically. It's just in terms of its scene-by-scene narrative, necessarily. Like, it's... There's a good... Like, the first 15 minutes of this film, I think, moves at a wonderful pace. Where it opens, you know, we have that amazing four-minute shot over the credits and things. And then... We're introduced to Starch in a voiceover that never really comes back. It comes back once and then it's just it was dropped. So weird. Yeah. I remember like the voiceover came back at whatever point it comes back in. I'm like, was there a voiceover before? Yeah. Like, oh. And then never again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really yeah, it's odd. Um, but it, it, it opens with him and his two buddies stealing coal from the German train to like help heat the village, and you're like. Okay, I get that this is great. This is like these people who are like, you know, Robin Hooding, essentially. And you brought that up later on in the film as well. Yeah. Um, And it's his first glimpse of the real brutality of war because up until that point, his life has been fucking around with his friends and throwing knives into dirt. And he mentions that, <laughs> yeah, he mentions his mum sheltered him quite a lot. And was just like, you need to get a job, you need to understand what the real world is. And he's like, nah, come on, mom, I want to play stickball. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then sees his friend brutally murdered. Yeah, and he's wounded. Yeah, he, he gets like a strafe little shot into the arm and yeah. things. And it's, it's a giant wake-up call to him of like, all right, 
this shit's actually serious. I need to get my shit together. So he be- immediately becomes an apprentice at a workshop. And then this is where the film, like, this is about the 15-minute mark. And this is where the film kind of shifts its pace to a more leisurely one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I just find, like, we, we get introduced to a few characters, but we don't get really to know who they are much. And then we just, they, things happen. And... You get, like, the brief, the little brief stuff of, like, the, the guy that runs the workshop is secretly helping to run guns for the Nazis and things and, like, skimming off the top, like, all of that stuff and hiding guns in the warehouse, which then Starch will find and steal and things. But it, it's it kind of just goes through the motions. And, I mean, there are those elements of seeing, like, the older man with the dogs as, like, oh, this is... as like, the idea of, like, oh, this is what I would become if I just stay and don't do anything with my life. Yeah. Like... You don't get a retirement fund. <laughs> no. And it's it's that thing of, like, oh, yeah, I actually need to do something. And this we're at a real crossroads in in the world at the moment and in our society, so I should probably do something. It helps activate him, I guess. Mm. Um, but you made a good point of when he met Dorita, is he doing it for her or is he yeah. doing it because he believes in the cause? And I think that's something he toys with throughout the film. I think it's it's because our first glimpse of Dorita is when he's at that school and it's he gets given the great advice by uh, Sekula, who is just like, don't, fuck around at school, don't skip class. Actually, if you have an opportunity to learn, learn. Yeah. Which he kind of thinks like, huh, okay. And then he arrives at class and he's kind of trying to cheat, like help the kid who yeah. doesn't learn. And yeah. he's like, maybe I should take this on board. And then he's presented with, like immediate, like after that is like, if you get a chance to learn, learn. Dorota is saying, this is something that's going on. This is what you should all be aware of. And he's just like, well, I want to fucking learn. Mm. Plus, I find you really hot. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. Mm. But then it, it, what the film kind of then shifts into a whole thing of he's the young upstart who's joining the Rebel Brigade, kind of. And it's. The film does a great job of is he doing this for actual socio political means or is it just to be around Dorota? Yeah. And then that line blurs, and it's the time when the voiceover finally comes back where it's he himself kind of acknowledging, of like, yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. It, it just, it, the world and the existence and what I, what motivations were just a god at this point. Yeah. And I think that makes for an, eh, kind of watch. Yeah. If, you're, if your character's, your main character is just sort of, no, I don't know. I'm just thinking like if your character doesn't give a shit, and I don't know if yeah. that he doesn't give a shit, but it's more like. He's apathetic yeah. or, yeah. Why should I care? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's I, I totally get what you mean. It, it it I think this film, at least for us in a twenty twenty one perspective, it, it would have been more engaging on a story aspect if, say, he'd started more as a kind of wisecracking, I don't give a shit kind of apathetic character, and we actually like the most. Yeah, we saw his full arc. Yeah, um, he does start as that character, and he ends as a totally different character. He does. But we don't necessarily see enough of that arc for it to impact us. And for me, his friend, I think his name's uh, (laughs) Jakek. Oh, Jakek, yep. Jakek. Jakek is the one that shoots the Nazi officer in the cafe, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So Jakek is 
also like I don't want to get involved in anything. Um, I've got to look after my dad because if I get hung, we see those hanging bodies in the street. That oh was gnarly. Oh, yeah. Fucking incredible. Wild. Yeah. Um, I, you know, who's going to look after him? My dad will end up having to beg. And then the next, like, scene or two, he like, shoots that officer. Yeah. Face. Brutally. That is so brutal. Well, it's scene. like, this is, like, the plan and we're going through with it, so we got to do it. And it is shockingly violent out of nowhere. Mm. Um, and then it's, it, yeah, he's such an interesting character that it's almost like, I, I kind of wish we were following you because you go from someone who's like, I don't want to be involved because I'm an actual pragmatist. I get a taste for this. Yeah. And I, I, it's like, I don't know if it's shock or just the, the thrill or whatever it is, but he is like, the others call him a fucking cowboy. Like, yeah. he seems like a guy who's like revved up by this. And it's like, let's do this. I'm all for it. Yeah. Woo woo. And then when he's actually called on that a little bit later, he's just like, fuck you. I'm traumatized. Yeah. I don't want any of this, actually. It, yeah. It's an interesting, it is interesting. emotional arc. But I just found myself very confused with him. But yeah. Yeah. And it, he is someone who eventually does. It, it, it seem, he's a character that seems to be toying with the idea of like, well, do I go with the flow in terms of not try and help the uprising and fight against the Germans just for the sake of my own personal well-being, and that I can help, I can stay alive, I can work, I can help my father, or do I acknowledge the suffering that's happening around us and actually try and make a difference and take a stand? And that's what he ends up doing and gives his life for it yeah so it's and i guess he's just watched what's happened to his dad uh you don't work anymore goodbye yeah and so he's probably like well, fuck that and and if and if say we don't make a stand and actually fight against these germans like is this what the rest of our lives is going to be mm. and he he his arc is pretty incredible and the that wonderful amazing shootout scene yeah incredible that ends with him swan diving off and like deciding to essentially make the ultimate sacrifice and kill himself like yeah oh, it's so good i feel like did he um not sacrifice himself but uh lead the nazis away from the group um is it they like come on let's go and he's like no no you go you go I think to some degree, and it is like, I don't know if that's him leaning into that I want to be the hero guy again still, yeah. or if it is just, A, I'm trapped, and but he does do like, you know, the Hail Mary and just like, fuck it, I'm going for this, this is a yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, I think he does ultimately kill himself as a way to not be caught in yeah. prisoner and then have to be forced to give up names and everything, it, so he does make the sacrifice there. But, mm. yeah, it, it's... That was a cool scene. Um, and and that's that that's why I kind of like this film and like it's not it to me wasn't as tough a watch as I think it might have been for you where it I just was focusing in on the shot choices yeah. and the editing style and the pacing and that whole sequence where he's running away from the stormtroopers is now making it sound like Star Wars. Um, it- <laughs> Discussion like they look like stormtroopers. Yeah, like, yeah, stormtroopers. That's, that's where. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it's the the shot choice and the pacing of it, and it, like in particular, like the editing of it. It fucking put you on edge, man, and it felt not like something from 1955. Yeah, no, it certainly didn't. And I'm just thinking, like, we've had a lot of movies from the 60s recently from mm-hmm. different countries. But they're nowhere near as violent as this. Maybe sort of do. But, right. like, that head shot in the cafe 
him getting shot in the arm and then, you know, falling. Um, well, do you want me to get into it now? I'd saved it for trivia. Yeah. But um, the film featured the first documented use of squibs in That's, cinema history. A so squib. squib is like when someone gets shot and it's like, pow! <laughs> Like, you know, and and you see something burst and, like, blood come out. Ah. This is the first film ever to use squibs. How? That's, that's fucking amazing. That's not. Think about that scene in Robocop when it's just, like, Ed 209. <laughs> like, you have ten <laughs> seconds to come <laughs> And the guy, like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That started with this. <laughs> it's pretty fucking amazing. That is amazing. Uh, for the first time, audiences were presented with a realistic representation of a bullet impacting and an on-camera hu- on an on-camera human being, uh, complete with blood splatter. Uh, the creator of the effect, uh, Kazamira Kutz, used a condom with fake blood and dynamite. <laughs> wow. Small amounts of gunpowder to kind of make the incendiary pop. Condom as well. They still, I think a lot of people, in, in particular in small films, use that to this day because it's a thin latex that you can like... Pop. Yep. I um, didn't know they had condoms back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought they were made of lambskin back then. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's why it, I guess it's a thing of like, fuck it. If we're trying to actually tell a personal story about what Polish people went through in this yeah. world, let's actually not shy away. Fuck this. Let's let's show it for well, what it was. You mentioned like one of the last lines in the um, synopsis on the back was, or the blurb on the back was, brutal. Yeah, a brutal portrait of the cost, the human cost of war. And you know, I'm so desensitized. Mm. But that scene was pretty brutal. Like because you're not squib. expecting it in a film this old. Like, Whoa! Yeah. Um, so it's pretty incredible, like that a initiative of filmmaking, but then also. The brazenness to do something that bold. And, I, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, if he's young, I don't know how old, how old Vajo is. Uh, 27 when he made yeah. this. He's just, like, living, going crazy. He's yeah. Making a fucking film. Let's fucking go for it. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's fucking do it. Yeah. But it's it's not just that scene. It is, there are, it's countless moments throughout the film. It is, so he knows so well right off the bat to where to place his camera, where to put his lights, where to position his actors within the frame to help, like, emotionally tell the story and thematically tell it. I mean, it's, it's as we said, the, the narrative itself was a bit meh for us, but... The craftsmanship. The craft behind it is yeah. so superb. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Um... Acting-wise, you got anything like that? I mean, it's worth pointing out Roman Polanski is one of... Yeah. He looks like a little schoolboy in his little shorts. Oh, my we God. a mad crutch shot. Yeah, there's an insane ball shot on Roman Polanski, and you're just like, no, this is upsetting. Well, one of the actors... Um... Oh, are you talking about Tom Wilkinson? Yeah, it looks like Tom Wilkinson. <laughs> Tom Wilkinson is in this film, everybody. Yeah. And um, our main guy looks Janusz like... Janusz Kowalskis. Oh, okay. uh, I'm so bad I'm, with Polish names. I'm so sorry. The guy played Sekula. Yeah, Sekula looks like Tom Wilkinson. Yep. And Starch looks like Joe Pesci, I've decided. Little, little Joey Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking young Joe Pesci. This is like Raging Bull era Joe Pesci, where he's got like the really little baby face. Not quite as round, but yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's definitely, there's, there's some similarities on display. Yeah. Here. In terms of the acting 
quality. I'd, yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, but this is a film, like, yeah, it wasn't necessarily the most engaging uh, on a narrative level, but it is one that I'm happy you... Like, I've finally seen and I'm happy you've seen mm. as a stepping stone to the, up to the next two. I'm excited. You've got me excited for the next two. Um, I hope they live up. I really like the next two. Um, it would be so great if you watched them and you're just like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I really do like the next two. And in, in terms of cinematic craft, I think it's, it's just... This is like the Rosetta Stone of like everything that we saw on display here in terms of filmic craft... This is him kind of getting his training wheels. Yeah. So it's only up from here. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, any final thoughts on A Generation? I, well, before we go, I'd like to mention the ending. I love how oh, yeah, yeah. he steps up. Um, so Dorota tells him about the secret passwords or whatever Yes, I sell down feathers. <laughs> <laughs> um. And she's like, and you're going to be in charge of this new group of, I don't know, what would you call them? Oh, we, we've got our new young recruits coming recruits. in and we want you to be the battalion leader, essentially. Yeah. And, yeah, and so, but then obviously she gets captured by the Germans and he goes ahead and continues. So he's not just doing it for her, he's doing it for the, the purpose. And it, 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 that's his full arc. He's no longer, yeah doing it just to be close to her. It's like, it has come full circle. He has now taken over that role as the senior person. And yeah. It, and he sheds a single tear. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. It gets, I really liked the ending. There were aspects that I liked about this film. Yeah. And the ending was definitely my favourite. It's by no means a bad film. No. It's just a interestingly paced and a narrative that you need to be in a mood to watch, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on that note, you want some trivia? Sure. Um... So, yep, as we've said multiple times, this is the first feature film by Andre Vajja, first film to use squibs. Um, this one's interesting. Because at the time it wasn't possible to adapt machine guns to shoot blanks, all shots of automatic weapons were done with live ammunition <laughs> and shot into sandbags off screen. So whenever you saw someone firing a machine gun, yeah. they're sh shooting live rounds past the camera into, like, a sandbag off-screen. It's a different time. Yeah, uh, not really, because I recently rewatched Come and See, and that's like, yeah, that's live ammunition as well, and that was, like, 1985. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but yes. Mm. Uh, but that's about... Oh, the only... Uh, some trivial trivia. Uh, this was acclaimed British director Lindsay Anderson. Uh, he considered it one of his favourite films. Uh, Lindsay Anderson made a great film with Malcolm McDowell called If that I think is coming up in the collection soon. Oh, okay. Br British filmmaker, Brit Britannic Hospital, like, yeah, some interesting stuff. Okay. Yeah, so it was one of his favourite movies. Wow. But uh, otherwise, I mean, I guess I'll do the individual criterions as we go through. Just saves me reading for five minutes at the end of the episode. Yeah. Uh, so a generation disc has Andre Vaja on Becoming a Filmmaker, a 34-minute exclusive new interview with the director and film critic uh, Jerry Palazic... Pal Plazuski, uh, ceramics for Ilza. Ceramics for Ilza. Watches 1951 film school short. Uh, rare behind-the-scenes production photos, publicity, stills, posters, original artwork, as well as the usual book and essays the Criterion usually do. But on that note, um, we've got a couple of things we need to sort out. First of all, 
Let's find out what Claire thinks about this film. So that music means it is time once again for Claire's. Oh, I've forgotten again. It is literally every time you forget what oh, your own segment wait. is called. What's this movie about? Yeah. I think it's called that movie. Yes. What's that movie about? All right. So we have three to go through. Ooh. Uh, wait, so I have to think up three plots. Oof. Okay. Uh, we are doing Andre Vaja's three war films. So that gives you a little bit of a clue as to where and what we're kind of dealing with here. War. But we're going to go through one by... <laughs> war, yeah? War, of yeah. course. Uh, we're going to go through one by one. First up is Age... And I'm showing Claire the covers for these. We Ooh. have A Generation from 1955... Andre Weiser is the director. And did you want language? Oh, yes, please. Polish. Yeah. Polish. Okay, I'm going straight away with genocide. Bam. So, the title, A Generation, represents the generation that was lost due to genocide of Jewish people and other peoples who were um, minoritized and fought against and the invasion of Poland. So you think it's kind of like oh, almost so- telling someone's story, but like through the perspective yeah. of... I'm going with perspective because perspective it's a generation. I'm going perspective of multiple um, people. Like, um, what's a movie that tells stories from lots of people's perspective? That's a, that's a few people's perspective, I guess, yeah. Yeah, even more than that. Magnolia. <laughs> I've not seen. I've only seen a bit of that movie, but yes, like Magnolia, but in war. But about about the Holocaust. Yeah, about the Holocaust. Oh. I'm going with the Holocaust. Alrighty, before we get into our next film, have you got a tagline? Ah oh, shit! <laughs> I knew you forgot about this. Ah <laughs> oh, shit! Okay. Um. Uh, you go. I'll have to have a minute. You, you, you tell us yours. I literally also did not have one prepared. <laughs> I've just, I remember that this is a thing that we do yeah. <laughs> right now. Uh, so I'm just going to fuck it, spitball it, first thing that comes to my head. Um... Talking about my a generation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Nothing better than a sweet who reference. <laughs> Talking about a generation. <laughs> um, um, I, I mean, I'm, I've got something like, fuck it, like, sometimes it takes a, one man to make a difference in a generation. That's, that's my best on the spot, Correct, I guess. Chris. Uh, so on that note, what we're going to do now is we're going to call it an evening on a generation, and we're going to put on Canal. Well, uh, We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you soon. <laughs> One week later. Uh, yep. <laughs> I love that movie so much. <laughs> yes, I know. But we were just saying, you know, when a movie rocks you to your core, and now you no longer know how to human. Yes. 
That was Canal. Yes. <laughs> we should say it's a beautiful sunny day here in Melbourne. Uh, not a cloud in the sky. It could be one of our last warm days for quite a while. We're heading into winter. And we spent it watching a group of people wallow in literal shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of glad that we got to go outside and have some, like, fresh air, which our characters didn't. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah, the amount of... You had to stop... Yeah, watching this a few times, you're like... Pause break. I need yeah, to. I need to get some sunlight. I just need fresh air. I need to forget. <laughs> like I need a respite from this yes. bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But uh, so I guess uh, I know it, it, it's a week later since yeah. we we've done a generation. As we said, we, we we're going to kind of take some breaks in between and stuff. It's a huge leap yes. from a generation. A massive leap. Mm. But uh, before we do that, um, in in the interim week, uh. Since we recorded the eight uh, generation part, we've had some more emails and stuff. Do we want to dive into that? Yes, <laughs> Just to, as a nice, happy kind yes, of. <laughs> we need this. It's, it's like the palate cleanse, the aperitif before we get into <laughs> it all. Uh, so our good friend Andrew, uh, aka Captain Internationalist. Uh, by the time we're recording this now, our Jules and Jim episode has come out. Yep. And uh, yeah, decidedly, uh, your tagline. Swept away with the polls. Everyone loved just have a threesome. <laughs> That's so funny. That was a terrible tagline, but thank yeah. you. Uh, but we have um, Andrew has actually submitted his own tagline, and this is actually something I'm going to say. If you got them now, guys, please send them in, listeners. Like we, if you think you've got a better one, let us know. <laughs> uh, Andrew has said, "I don't normally go po- politically incorrect, but this one kept going through my head. Bitches be crazy." Yes. Uh, he then went on to say that Catherine is the worst character in French New Wave, and he's including all of Goddard's messes in that. <laughs> uh, he tried to give it a rewatch for our episode, and it's just no, no, wow. no. It's so. like you know how it's like the, one of the best films ever made. Mm. Yeah. What? I get it in terms of like as we said in that episode, it's like time and place of it was something so drastically different, and it has been emulated in the way that it deconstructs and then rebuilds how you make a film. I yeah. th- so it's important, I would say. It's a very important film. Okay. Not a good one to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other one, we got an email from a new, uh, from another listener, uh, Hijacked Affairs on Twitter, and he uh, this is actually going back to our sort of Doom episode, uh, saying he really enjoyed the episode, but it is a strong disagree on the model, uh, on the middle part of the film, and the freeze frame at the end, so... And what was our take on that? It's been a while. Uh, well, um, I know me for sure, I did not... I loved the beginning and uh, the ending, but it was that whole middle section of... Yeah. I thought it lulled for a bit. Um, and he thinks the middle is great. Strong disagree, yeah. So the middle's great, the ending's not? Oh, no, he just thinks... Uh, I'm assuming it's okay. loves the movie in general, but gotcha. disagreeing with us on the middle part, but good episode nonetheless, so thank you. Yes, we love feedback... <laughs> Like, disagree with us. We just like hearing from you. Let's open a dialogue, everybody. Yeah, dialogue, <laughs> but uh, that's enough of the emails that have kind of rolled in. Should we, uh, should we jump into Canal? Yeah, yeah. All right. Watch them closely, for these are the last hours of their lives, announces a narrator, foretelling the tragedy that unfolds as a war-ravaged company of home army resistance fighters tries to escape the Nazi onslaught through the sewers of Warsaw. Determined to survive, the men and women slog through the hellish labyrinth, piercing the darkness with the strength of their individual spirits. Based on true events, Canal was the first film ever made after, about the Warsaw Uprising and brought director Andre Vajra to the attention of international audiences 
Oh my god, based on a true story. Yeah, on that note, um, doing a little bit of research, so you saw in the opening, you, you made the note in the opening credits, oh, it's written, the screenplay is by the same guy who wrote the novel, the novel that it's yeah. based off of. Um, his name is uh, Jerry Stefan Stalinsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, he himself survived in the sewers as a soldier of the army uh, oh, during the Warsaw Uprising, so it is based on his actual accounts of what his uh, company, he and his fellow soldiers went through. No one should have to go through that. That's awful. No. So, <laughs> yeah. But I think we should take a step back and talk about the opening. Now, uh, refresh my memory. A generation has an epic opening shot. Yeah, where it's like that crane shot that ends up kind of coming down and then meeting our and you're like, How people the- as they're throwing the knives in the dirt and stuff. Yeah. How the- Fuck was that made back then? This one does not disappoint. Yeah. It takes it to eleven. Yeah, it, it's basically like they're they're in pre-production of this film. This is how I imagine it being. They're in pre-production, yep. and you know his producer uh, Andre Vaj's uh, producer or production, someone on the crew was just like, man, that whole opening shot that you had in a generation. I mean, that was so bold and ballsy. Like, man, I, how are you going to do something like beat something like that? And he's essentially like, hold my beer. Hold my beer. I'm going to open this with one of the best fucking opening tracking shots ever, yeah. I think. Bold statement, but yeah. No, I don't think it's bold. I think you're absolutely right. It blew us away. It is a four and a half minute tracking shot, tracking shot that introduces the entire setup for the story, all of our key characters... And somehow manages to engage you and, and create in within this one continual shot. Uh, I think I counted about eight different forms of staging. Yeah. Like, essentially, it's a single shot, but he essentially makes it look like eight different shots mm. without a cut in there. The way he's, like, moving his camera, pausing for a little while, framing his actors. It's nuts. Yes. And I have to talk about the voiceover here because I... Well, first of all, watching the group descend down the hill to then into the tracking shot, I'm like, are we watching The Bastards right now? Yes. <laughs> yes. And also with the, the voiceover of the introduction to our characters, very Inglorious Bastards to me. I'm sorry I'm only referencing forward because I've not watched anything before this. Yes, so yeah. I'm, I can only reference forward. No, it's fine. But, like, uh, for example, we um, get to meet uh, – I'm going to butcher the names as I always do – Jacek, Jacek, uh, Jacek, and he 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 misses showers. I love that. Uh, we, Which is some nice foreshadowing, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so good. But um, the composer, as we track into frame the piano, mm-hmm. he has a little um, ding on the piano. So good. I love that, and I I appreciate a little bit of an introduction sometimes. Yeah. It's nice, and then for the rest of the film, you know who we are. Not just that, but it's also the way he's present. He, he, everyone looks distinctly different. Yes. In terms of actually, just they're, they're physically, they look different from everyone. Some have like you know. Yeah, but the dressed everything. Exactly. They, yeah. The, yeah. What did you call? Them? Like Jacek is dressed in civilian clothes. Yeah. And then you've got um, uh, Slim essentially wearing a fucking like sweet leather daddy jacket. <laughs> Like, leather jaddy. Yeah, it's it's everyone is slightly different, and then you you know you have um, you know Zada and Cooler and stuff like holding on to that militaristic idea, and they're dressed in their full proper uniform still. And, yep, I'm yeah, I'm going to pause here and say, what do you call that military? 
Oh, I believe colloquially it's called a cunt cap. Yes. I, when you said that, I wet myself thinking, what a good call, Chris. But you said, no, 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 this is actually what it was called. Well, colloquially. Yes. <laughs> uh, you t- I've just typed in to double check. Uh, it, realistically, it is called a side cap. Side cap is a military cap that can be folded, uh, folded flat when it's not being worn. Uh, Urban Dictionary, cunt cap. <laughs> Uh, the dirty, covertly, uh, covertly contagious nickname behind a popular military style of hat, the garrison cap. Yeah, that yeah. made me laugh, but yeah, it's a thing. Okay. Yeah. But like this, okay, so the film, like we're introduced to everyone here, like we've got all of our main, like you said, we've been introduced to the bastards. Yes. <laughs> yes. And we then have a fucking... Oh, Amazing action scene where it's like we've found this old bourgeois house that is still up and will rest here for the time Very being and bourgeois, yeah. and fortify and get ready for the next onslaught and then it's just tanks rolling in and fighting and just good amazingly shot action. Amazingly shot action. I've got a question. You might not have the answer to this, so maybe the listeners do. I'd like to know how many big, big action war films were prior to this because this is massive. I know you might not have the answer, but it's a question I'm posing. Like, on this bigger scale? Um, I mean, I'm just looking... I've just typed in war films, 1950s, um, and the first couple that kind of pop up, you've got Stanley Kubrick's uh, Paths of Glory, which is a World War I film, though. Yeah. Uh, You have one of... One of oh, I'd say the best Criterion Discovery I've ever had, which was The Cranes Are Flying. Mm. I think that was 1959. Um, but in, and I suppose, uh, what, well, this is 1957? This is the same year as Bridge on the River Kwai. Okay. Which is less about a, necessarily a conflict and a battle, it's, it's about the POWs and the escape from, and, yeah. but it's still told, it's, it's David Lean, it's told on this epic fucking scale. So it's not groundbreaking, you wouldn't say this film's groundbreaking in that way, maybe for Poland? I would. Yeah? Uh, definitely for Poland, uh, I've got some stuff about that in the trivia, but uh, f- I definitely say this is groundbreaking in in the way that it is shot and the bleakness of the story it's presenting, the pace of its editing, and it, mm. like it is, it's. I mean, I'm, I'm going to use the simile of the cranes are flying, which you, I, I'm afraid you have not seen, and no. you really fucking should. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. It was one of those few times in the collect, like going through the collection, where I've seen a film where I'm like. This does not feel like a 1950s Polish film. This feels like a film that came out in, like, 1992, directed yes. by Martin Scorsese. Yes. Like, it is such a modern style of filmmaking that you don't see from films that era, and you realise it, it feels more modern, and that's because filmmakers that we now know in the modern generation have watched this and been like, that's how you fucking do it. Yes. Like... And I think... <sighs> Those opening battle scenes yeah. are so needed because of where we end up. Yes. Well, that, that's the whole point, essentially, how I feel. You, you can't wait to get away from where they are. Like, they are the last men standing kind of thing. It's like, the outpost. Let's get the and it's... fuck out of here. And then you're like, oh, no. No, no, I no. I wish we stayed there. And then when it's the retreat option is the sewers, they're just like... I mean, Slim says it, it's like, fucking, might as well kill ourselves here now. Like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. And, he, and everyone's like, why are you getting drunk to go through this? And he's like... How are you not? Yeah. Like, do you actually understand what is ahead Where of us? Um, and it, but 
the whole we it's about half an hour before we actually get into the sewers. Yeah. Um, and it's so important that I think the film takes its time to do that because of what the ultimate kind of thematical message of the film yes. is, where it's we he takes his time to. Why we kept saying like Inglorious Bastards or like Dirty Dozen and stuff is it feels like one of those movies. It's not I don't want to say glorifying war or combat, but it's making it seem adventurous. Yes. And it, it it's it's that it's setting you up with a false sense of I know what this is. I've seen this before. I'm gonna follow this ragtag team and they're gonna like disarm the tanks and they're gonna save the day yeah. and you're like no, Yeah no. This is your so we're gonna spend half an hour of like this is what you think war is and then, then we're going to actually show you what war is. And even in those beginning scenes where they're on land, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good way to put it because they are—they go underground. Like, yeah, There's questions that the characters are raising. And so I remember, and I don't remember which characters is, but I love this moment and it was between two characters and one of them was questioning what they're doing and the other one said there's no point philosophizing. I can't say that word. Philosophizing. Philosophizing. I don't know. <laughs> philosophizing? Yeah. Or, you know, asking questions. Waxing question- philosophically? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> questioning why we're here and what we're doing. Just fucking do it. Yes. And I think that is something very World War One, World War Two, and then we get into the second half of the century and then we get into Vietnam and there's the soldiers and, and, and there's more questioning around like why the fuck we are we doing this, doing this. Yeah. but back then that they, they're kind of tapping on those sorts of questions and is this really worth it or that sort of thing and I thought that was really interesting and that was in those first few scenes yeah. we haven't got into the sewer yet yeah it's the whole idea of alright we've been given a bad order do we follow that order because that's what you do or do we actually have a mind of our own. Yeah, is, where, do, where do we break down the military system here and the chain of command for the you sake don't. of self-preservation? Like, these guys, the guy who's given us this order is not going through this with us. He doesn't oh understand. God. Like, it's... And to what end? It's... Yeah. I mean, before we jump into the sewer part, I, I was thinking... <laughs> I was thinking, like, all the time we are in the sewers, I'm just like, I can't... I, all I think in my head is, I can't wait to get out of here so I can shoot that guy in the yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. You're just like, um, what the fuck did you do? Yeah. But there's also a really uh, beautiful scene where our composer asks if he can uh, make a phone call and if he can connect oh, him to yeah. his wife and daughter. And he's on the phone to them and um, the wife's name's Wanda and um, he's just seeing where they are and what's going on and, and the wife's like, why aren't you here? Where are you? Um, and then he puts on the phone to his daughter and, and then she says they're setting fire to people in the street. Not yeah. they're killing people, they're yeah. setting fire to people. And the, the line of the daughter just saying, Daddy, why do they keep shooting? And you're like, oh. <gasps> And if only that was the bleakest part. It's yeah. not. It's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's far from it. No. That's a man who ends up like he... Oh, his I'm... arc is amazing where it's just yes. like he's a guy who is solely minded on, you know, discovering his children and stuff. Like, you know, getting back to his family. And then after that phone call, he's broken and he can know... He's sitting yeah. at... There's that scene where he's sitting at the piano. He's just like, it's nothing. Yeah. It's blankness. It's just like, I, I'm impotent now. I can't... There's nothing... 
that my whole being and my existence is gone now. Does he play before? He does play before the phone call, and it's a beautiful yeah. song. Yeah. And then he plays after the, that's the scene, yeah. And then uh, after he's in the sewer and he realises like this where they are and what has happened to them, and it's like, oh, we are, you know, he's the one who evokes Dante, and he's like, we have descended into the seventh circle of hell. We are not escaping this ever. I have now officially lost my mind. I can hear the music again. Yeah. <laughs> and Amazing. it's just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that got me crying. Not like crying, but it made me tear up a bit. Oh, it, bit. it is hard to not get emotional watching this film. There's a second part where we sort of, outside of our group, feel the what's going on. And there's they get to downtown or... I guess that's where they go. Well, it, it, it's like the edge of the ghetto where it's like, yeah. the, it's essentially, this is the entry point for them to get into the sewers. In, and Yes, the entry point before the sewers. And there's a woman saying, have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my daughter? She's blonde. Please, please tell me you've seen her. Please don't ignore me. Ugh. And they can't, like, they can't do anything. And it's just, this is, I love when war films do this. And it's, it's not a hero's tale or journey. It's not... Adventure, yay! No, yeah. this is fucked. And this film, I've got to give it bloody five stars for doing that because yeah. it does not glorify shit. Do Do you think for you, like, why you engage with when a f- film does, and a war film does something like that, is it because it's reminding you of the world, like the grander scheme of everything, and it's it's not just this insular tale, and it's yes. it injects that realism into it, and all of a sudden it's like, oh fuck. And I think, so I grew up, not, not as a little kid, but maybe in my teens to adult years, I've watched a lot of war films and I actually really like the genre. Um, and I, for a while there, thought, oh, maybe I'd like to join the army. It seems like a cool place to work. And that is what I mean about the films that I grew up on or were watching. Yeah. Examples? Saving Ryan's Private... No, Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> that was a film you watched a lot later in life, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'll have I, to think I of some it. examples, but a film I really like is Apocalypse Now, and I don't think it does that. No. It's the opposite of that. I'm, I'm trying to think of one that does, but probably Saving Private Ryan. That's very brutal. That's not a good example. But at the same time, it also really does glorify... I mean, glorify is not the right word, but it, no. it really exemplifies the idea of the brotherhood and the platoon and the yeah. the camaraderie that comes from service. Can you service. think of anyone, any films that sort of make it a bit more of a hero's journey rather than the bleakness of what it actually Oh, there were so many, like, growing up when we did in the 80s and 90s of, like, it's... That we're not necessarily like the problem is we're going to like good cinema, but like, yes. there's, there's also ones like a lot of schlock crap that would come out in yeah. that era, like the eighties and nineties action. Yeah, they make it a glorified action adventure thing as yes. opposed to an actual humanist tale. Yeah, <laughs> and I think you know this film has the action at the beginning, and it's very, very exciting and awesome. I yeah. love it, but then it just leaves that behind. Yeah, it's very much about what the fuck are we? I'm, I'm just flashing back to I remember when Saving Private Ryan came out and the trailers made it it's like that voiceover it opens with like Brian Cranston being like the right it's like sir we've got because he's the guy who comes in realising yeah it's an early Brian Cranston role as like sir we've there's one brother left alive and the general like we gotta find him and get him the hell out of there yeah. it's like the weirdest line reading and then it's like this beautiful John Williams score and like the action and it's like oh the brotherhood of war I'm like Man, this film looks great. And then you go and see it, and that opening scene, and you're like, fuck. 
<laughs> I've never yeah, seen like that's, oh it is a wrong bad, wrong wrong, wrong. <laughs> it is a, it is actually a bad example and for the life of me I can't think of another one but can you tell me again that uh, what you were saying about is it Gilliam oh yeah because we ended up like while we were watching this um, having lots of we ended up having a big chat about Schindler's List yeah um, because you like when that woman comes up with the crying and you've got all the scenes of essentially almost the liquidation of the ghetto and that is like Poland and all that. Um, it's, yeah, Gilliam brought, there's, I recently saw a video of Terry Gilliam criticizing Spielberg, Mm. specifically for Schindler's List, and I'm super paraphrasing here, but it's along the line, Gilliam's complaint is that Spielberg did a disservice to the Holocaust in making, it's it's very bold to say, uh, in, with making Schindler's List, because... He essentially Spielberg's it mm. in that the film ends up being a hero's journey yes. of Oscar Schindler. And yes. the film ends with him being a hero. It ends with, hey, we made, like, we all pulled together and made you this ring and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's him driving off in that car and seeing the, the reflection of all the hundreds and thousands, like, you know, thousands yes. of people that he saved. Yes. So it's, and the one scene that I don't like in the film, the yes. color where it's putting all the rocks on his grave at the end. Okay, yeah. I totally get why that exists, but but you feel like it's therefore putting him in this like godlike, oh hero kind of it, form it's instead of telling really a telling a story about the Holocaust. I don't necessarily agree with Gilliam. No, that's Gilliam's It's point Gilliam's perspective. You just like make a fucking documentary at that point, dude. If yeah. that's your argument, and you brought up it's a true story, so so and that's that's it. So I don't know, but he's not wrong. He's not wrong, and I think that this film, Canal, is the first film, maybe not the first film, but it's a film where it really doesn't hero... It's, Lionize anything, oh, yeah. it's just, it is brutal, as it was, as I'm sure it was. And I think how the film does that effectively as well, like, keeping on that same route as, like, the hero of the film. Who's our ma- Who would you say is the main person in this film? There isn't one. No, it perfectly balances between three or four separate storylines, yes. and there is no key protagonist. There's no person that we're rooting for over anyone else. It is just, we want them to get out of this horrible situation, and it's that's the whole allegory for the war. Like, mm. it's, yeah... <laughs> Yeah, and so we, as we've probably said about a thousand times now, the bastards or the group <laughs> descend into the sewers to flee to the next location. But well, therefore, yeah, they've been ordered to head down to get to downtown to help with meet up with the rest of the army there and help, like you know. But what happens is the resistance. Other people down there, and they scream gas, gas. The Nazis have put gas down the sewers, and then. They all, like, run and get separated and it's dark and it is dank and it is the most disgusting film I've ever seen. Yeah. In, in, in not in, it is literally the most disgusting film. I wish film. I had taken a photo. There was, like, for a good 20 minutes of this film, Lee had, like, her shirt up over her nose, like, <laughs> hiding away, just like, you're like, I can smell it on the screen, coming off the screen. Like, you know, it's sewers. What's down there? Shit, piss, filthy water. And, and it then, does not shy away from it, yeah. No, and we, we then spend the rest of the film in the canal, the sewers, yep. and uh, watch our characters slowly descend into their own personal madness. Yeah, it is them going... It's Dante. It's them going into the... Sev- like, you know, descending into hell. I love that. Yeah. And it is amazing. Yeah. Um, 
I, prior to this, was thinking, where are we going? Who are we looking after? What are we protecting? What is the point? I like that, I like that you had a note of, what does canal mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I figured it out pretty quickly yes, after that. Yes, Um And then we're in the sewers for a while, and I'm thinking, okay, all right, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get out. We're gonna, nope. That's the rest of the film. Mm. It's not about who they're protecting or their mission or anything. It's about watching them basically die. Yeah. I mean, and it's the thing of after that, because we get that battle sequence at them at that, you know, fortifying that house and kind of fighting the Germans up on the hill with the tank and stuff, you forget that the film opens with a monologue saying that these people, everyone we are, we've presented to you is going to die. Why do you think that was a creative choice? Like, I know we forget it, and I'm not sure I entirely did, but no, I think I did forget yeah. it, and I moved on, and I was like, all right, where are we? But that's an interesting choice. I, I think it is because it's kind of that same thing of, like, trying to do the opposite effect of what war propaganda would do, where it's it's glorifying it, where it's like, we're going to start off by telling you this is not pretty. This was a company of 70 men that in the last two days is now down to 43. And then they're all going to die in the next day. Yeah. And then here's a fun action sequence. And you forget that. Yeah. You've just been told it because it's presenting it in this fun, hyper-stylistic, like, great, isn't this exciting and thrilling? And then you're like, oh. And then the film's like, uh-uh-uh. No, it's not. Yeah. Remember, motherfuckers. Like, yeah. That's what this is. <laughs> oh, man. The, the whole canal, I don't know, hour and a half? I don't know how long it, It's about an hour. It's about an hour in the canals. It was just awful. Yeah. But I'm glad it is. Mm. Imagine it was like, let's go, boys. Woo. We're getting through the muck here and we're through the swamp and we're going to survive and then we're going to kick some Nazi ass. It's like, yeah. no, this is the horror that is war. It makes good men bad it corrupts everybody involved it turns you crazy it makes you want to kill yourself like yes. that's the other thing that's kind of great about it it's not just a platoon of soldiers it's civilians it's women it's children it's it's ev- it it corrupts everybody yes <laughs> yeah you, wh- wow 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 yeah so i'm i haven't read the novel but i imagine it would be um, sort of a recount of what that soldier went through, and then maybe Vija has turned it into this allegory of war as a whole. I mm. don't know, but that's what I would assume. Well, I imagine most uh, there's a, a fairly substantial amount of you know post World War Two literature is anti war literature. <laughs> like you know, it's that whole explaining this is bad, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> this was not a fun thing that we went through. <laughs> I'm going to jump in now and say um, that Daisy oh, is a yes. motherfucking badass winner. Yeah. I love her. I was going to say that I've seen a lot of war films where clearly there's mainly men or sometimes only men. Yes. I understand that. I am not advocating that war films, especially set in this time period... Need to have yeah. strong female characters. Yeah, I yeah, understand. yeah, you're not one of those people that's like, fuck 1917, where are the women? No. Because <laughs> you're like, mm. uh, it is historic. There was a woman, woman, she wanted milk for her baby. And wasn't it a ha- coincidence that he came across a cow? 
Uh, don't get me wrong, 1917 is fine. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Yeah. Anyway. There's a lot of happenstance. Anyway, I get that. And I, I always bring up 12 Angry Men, not 10 Angry Men, as yep. previously stated. <laughs> I love 12 Angry Men. It's all men. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yep. I get it. I'm not saying that women need to be represented. Saving Private all Ryan. All men. Like, yeah, it yeah, works. It's yeah. historically accurate. Yes. I get it. And, but, Canal. Motherfucking Canal. With fucking Ripley and Sarah Connor motherfucker in this film. Oh, man. The amount of times we said, holy shit, look at Sarah. Like, I kept evoking it, Sarah Connor to Kyle Reese. Like, on your feet, soldier. Like, (laughs) dragging him through the fucking muck. Like, not only is she there. I mean, we're introduced to both. It's, um, it's not Hilanka? Hilinka? Uh, Halinka, yeah. Halinka and Daisy. Um, as the girlfriends, mm-hmm. Halinka sort of sticks to that role, but still has some interesting uh, storyline. Oh man, her ultimate ending is amazing. I think so. Halinka ends up committing suicide, but what does she say? She says, "Turn the light off." Oh no, but the battery would, you know, turn the light off, and then she kills herself. Yeah. I'm actually surprised she's the only one that did. Yeah, when they're ditching their guns. In the canal, I'm like, no, 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 hold on to them. Yeah, it's like, you need to I do kill not you. want to drown in shit. Yeah. I'd rather kill my... Like, that's yeah. how foul and bad it is down there. Um, Daisy is fucking Sarah Connor, though. Yeah. She is... She loves um, Jacek. Jacek? Jacek. She loves him. To the point where she scribed his name on the wall on previous routes. Like, mm-hmm. like, like what a place to do it, for one. But also... Yeah, totally, because why am I doing this? It's the reminder on the wall for her as to why she treks through Ah. muck and shit all the time. I love Jacek. This is why I'm doing this horrible... Trek. Trek. Yeah, she's done that it's before. The fu- it, this is a movie we all like. We've jokingly come recently to be like, why? Are you, like, you know, why can't we just know that they drove there? <laughs> like, yeah. but this is one where it's like he actively just leaves shit there on the screen for you, and like you figure it out. Like, you know, it's even it's to the beautiful. point where Jacek is. He brings it up. He's like, who wrote that? And then she puts out a fake name. She changes it to Janek instead ah, of Jacek out of that kind of shy embarrassment. And he's like, yeah. who would love someone so much to write a silly thing? And she's she like, you it. don't know. Yeah. She, but she leans as like, you like, trust me, someone who loved him very much. And you're like, heart melts. <laughs> what an interesting, like, imagine that kind of, like, imagine. I mean, I'm just saying imagine the film we just watched. But imagine a bleak, dark, shit-filled, horrible film. And then this, like, little love story. Like, yeah. how? How do you just, like... How do, how you, do you put you in a love this? story into this oh. film? So perfectly. Oh, my God. <laughs> this film literally has fucking everything. Yeah, but she is a badass motherfucker. But also, um, Daisy, I think I was saying to you in the first few scenes, Daisy rocks up at the beginning of the film when we're not in the sewers. Yeah. And uh, Jacek is attempting to clean up because, remember, he's the guy that misses the showers. Mm. So he's having a shave and he's, like, you know, trying to clean himself up. Even though he's about to be... Sh- like. Well, he doesn't know this, but pretty <laughs> yeah, much he yeah. knows he's going to die. Like, yeah. he still wants to be clean. He's a clean boy. And then I just, I was like, why does he keep saying she stinks? Oh, you stink. And it's like, but I left my shoes outside. No, 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 you stink. But regardless of that, she kind of comes over to him and starts to kiss his neck and kiss his shoulder. And it was really refreshing for me because 
I would say Daisy is, and I've just watched Jules and Jim. Yep. And I've just watched all these other films that we've watched. Well, you likened it to a generation where you we had the female character who was like leading this resistance that was supposed to be kind of using her feminine wiles to seduce this guy to kind of like bring him into the the fold. But but she, I would say Daisy is the most uh, sensual character we've met so far. Even though we've just seen Jules and Jim and all that, like there's not. How do I put this? They all sort of like like look off screen and they're they're posing. I'm talking about female characters and they're just like, and they've got the candle like the uh, gossamer lighting of just like <gasps> the wistful looks wistful. off screen. Yeah. And I'm like, no, Daisy is a saucy motherfucker. She yeah. is sexy and she is sensual. She's authentically sensual. I, I From really the know. second she arrives yeah. on screen, she commands. You like you instantly looking and caring about her more than Jessic. Yeah. And she, I don't know, she's got to... And then she ends up being the fucking hero, hero. helping save Justin. It's so great. Yeah, I love she, uh, I should say, she is fucking top. Uh, Teresa Izuka? Izu- mm-hmm. uh, I'm butchering the name. Sorry, Polish people. Teresa <laughs> Izuska. Yeah. Top build in this film. So if we were arguing of who's the main character... Daisy! I, I said that to you, like, cause, uh, mainly because I know... She she's top build, and she and to me, she's the hero because I would say it's her or um, Zadra as like yeah. the the main platoon leader as the kind of isn't that interesting? Yeah. And in in a genre that's heavily male focused, and I wouldn't even say she takes away from anything. She's there, and she she has her own storyline. It's not she's not a hero here. No. She's definitely not a hero, and oh, she almost exemplifies the overall thematic message of the film is to like this is going through the sewers is something that ends up defeating and destroying an entire platoon mm. of men whereas she is like motherfucker that's what you do in war to survive yeah i i know these sewers i do this regularly because i know and do what it takes to survive would we say that she does survive at the end yes well, I, my my interpretation it, has always interpretation, been yeah. she realizes because they've hit that grate and there's no escape, uh, and she keeps telling uh, Jacek like, "Don't open your eyes; it's too bright," and it's mm-hmm. that like shielding from the disappointment. And she knows he's going to die, yeah. but it's like just that whole thing of like, "Yes, we've made." It's like <laughs> it's like think of the rabbits, Lenny. <laughs> like, it's it's just that thing of like, I'm just going to sit here with you until you do. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. I've got to say, the most disappointing part of the film, and not in, in it that it's a disappointing film, but the most disappointing part of the film is where some of our platoon finally, finally come up through the top of the sewer and they're on land and they're sort of trying to clear their eyes. But it's Oh, no, so it, it's, it's one. It, it's, it's slim. It's slim. No, no, sorry, it's not slim. It's, um, no, it, is it? No, it's... Oh, God. I don't think it is slim. It's the guy it's, uh, that Wise, like... Wise. Uh, Wise. You kept saying was Aldo, the inspiration for Aldo Rain from I, The Glorious. Okay. <laughs> Before I even talk about what I was going to talk about, I asked Chris while we were watching this, do you reckon Tarantino... Taron, you know, that guy, makes his actors... <laughs> Tenton Quintantino. <laughs> <laughs> makes his actors watch old films for inspiration because, God damn, this guy is Aldo Rain. 
The way he kind of like leans over the piano is like smoking a cigarette. I wouldn't say that Aldo Reen's character in his... I did just don't hear the mannerisms. Yes. And the style of the character. Like, that's why Pitt has that John Watersy mustache and things <laughs> like... Yeah, I, I haven't heard... I've... I've heard Tarantino talk about this film once before in, like, an interview. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's... I, I can just assume it's one that he I think kind that's of why we out. all love Tarantino is because he does... He doesn't well, I mean, steal. He takes influence well, from... Well, fucking the film. name Aldo Rain is a reference to the 40s and 50s actor Aldo Ray, even. Ah. <laughs> like, it's that level deep. It's so nice like... being Chris's friend because he knows stuff. Because <laughs> Chris is a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, so Aldo Rain, God knows what wise, cool... He, oh, oh boy, he comes out and he's cleans so the literal shit, shit out of his eyes. Oh man! And then just and gets met with hands up. Yeah. Oh man! And we, the audience, know it's coming. We yeah. see it before he does, and it's the. And then there's it. It it does the tracking shots in this film in the sewers, but before, in, after, the tracking shot goes from him. Oh, it's like a pan over the pan. captured civilians and then it's like all the murdered platoon people in front of a firing squad wall. Yeah. And he just, without even being told, just walks over, drops to his knees, hands him over his head, and then turns back to them like, essentially like, fucking do kill it. Me, yeah. Just fucking do it. Like, oh. it's brutal. <laughs> I think I said to you, I would rather be in a war camp or like a fucking, yeah, a war camp than be down in those sewers. And you're like, mm. I'm like, no, because I guess they still have hope down there. Yes. And the second he comes up, it's just it, like, it's I just, just went through hell for nothing. Yes. Oh, it, it was like, you know, when I said a movie rocks you to your core and now you don't know how to human, that scene. Yeah. Oh, man. And it, it's, it's that, but then I think the film ends on such a... <sighs> It, it, it's overall, it's kind of that message with Daisy where it's like after, you know, our disparate people, it's like the platoon is lost and things and we have uh, Zadra and Kula yes. come out and, and Zadra's like, bring up the men, we've reached here. And Bullet's yes. like, huh, about that. Hey, the way he says it though, I'd fucking shoot him too. Yeah. I was humouring you. I was pretending that your platoon was there the whole time because uh, we must because say, like, the, the, they're losing their minds for all the methane. There's the lack of oxygen down in yeah, the sewer. Oh, so everyone so... goes nuts, basically. Yeah. Our composer decides to play an ocarina <laughs> through the sewers. Um, and just wander forever. He's a ghost now. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but that's... He haunts those sewers to this day. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, we've got to say prior to that moment, but the guy with the um, the the grenades. Oh yeah, oh, that's brilliant. But anyway, so we we this is the end of the film. Our lieutenant Zadra. Yep. Yeah, finding out that he's made it, but his platoon hasn't killing. Take, um, I don't know what his record keeper got. Uh, cooler, yeah. yeah. But it, it's just that triumphant looking around, taking one last deep breath of fresh air. Back in we go. I'd like to... Because I cannot leave my platoon behind. Yeah. It's just like... Oh, and then fade to black end, and you're like... It's God a- damn, he... It's... He is... He knows what it takes to survive, and he's a true leader. He's like... I'm... Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's It's brutal, though, because I kept saying to you while we were watching them down the sewers... I would not want to be the guy in charge. Yeah. Everyone asking, like, where, where are we going? What are we doing? What are we doing? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. I'm lost. And, and he gets lost because the one guide is Daisy who yeah. gets, like, separated. separated from them. And it's, 
they they get distracted by the writing of the wall of Daisy Love Jacek, then they're paying attention to that, that they don't notice the writing on the other wall, it's their exit, and it's... It's stuff like that that makes me want to throw things at the television. And it's... It's like like the moment in Labyrinth, it's like, oh, if she'd gone that way, she would have gone straight to the castle. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. We need more of those little worms down in this sewer dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like uh, the little moments uh, YJ injects in there, like... Coming across the colonel. Why the fuck is there a colonel slowly dying in the sewer? And it's like, which one of you men will carry him? And all of them are like, no. No. To the point of you then later see his dead body floating. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, all all of this is lost. <laughs> we are glossing over the sewers. And I think because they murk, murk into one. And yeah. it's just awful. There is no nice moments. And... I would say that this, it, it, for me, it's almost a horror film. Yeah. It yeah. is dark, it is violent, it is scary. They hear ghosts, they don't hear ghosts, but they hear, they get so like worked up in their mind and, and the methane and all the, that that they the hear music of, and And it's shit. also the hope of seeing a manhole, uh, uh, excuse me, <laughs> the, the hope of seeing a manhole or an exit and you're like, oh quick, we can get out there. And it's like, no, there are... Nazis there who will fucking murder, murder us. Murder you. It's just, it's just, I, I wish we took a photo of how we were sitting watching this film. Yeah. Imagine like knees tucked up and feet on couch, um, t-shirt over nose, just, oh, yeah. <laughs> Signs of a fucking good movie if you were having a visceral physical reaction while watching it. If I was to give this out of five, it'd be four and a half. And like, it's, when have it's you amazing. on the Criterion Quest so far heard me even like attempt to rate a film? Yes. Like, this film was nuts! Yeah, then I knew this was coming and I'm so happy. <laughs> for, for ages I've been seeing these coming up and I'm like, I cannot wait for Lee to see Canal and Ashes and Diamonds. Yes. So I'm excited for the next one. I yeah. hope it's not as... Okay, please put me out of my misery. Is it like least less bleak, slightly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah. Can't do it. I can't uh, <laughs> do it anymore. <laughs> it, it's it. Yeah. It's it's great. All right. Um, Should we do a tagline? Because I know this is this is getting on now. We got to get to the next one. Should we do some taglines and then move on? Yep. All right, Chris. My, I really liked yours, but that's not going to... Oh, no, it wasn't even intentional. It was you said, oh, we've got to think of taglines now, and I just blurted out, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, perfect! <laughs> yeah, oh, that works. <laughs> um, but mine is, there are no winners in war, which doesn't work because I feel like the Nazis won. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of did win this one. So I'm going to go, there's no winners I don't know, in I, war. I, I like to think that Daisy survives at the end. She yeah. waits for Jessica and she gets out. And Yeah. Yeah. So there are no winners in war. What's yours? Um, Twelve feet below the ground in the muck and the mire. That's why. That's where you find war. Wow, Chris, that was deep. Not literally. Really. No, literally. Not, get not, it? Yeah. Uh, there we go. I think we've done okay with our taglines, but uh, I think what's important about this now is to try and figure out what uh, Claire maybe thinks this film's about. <laughs> All right. Our next film is. We're not going to do the theme music for each of these. That, that'll be no, a bit too I've much. already forgotten the title again. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Claire's... Movies. All right. movie about? So next up, we have Canal from 1957, also directed by Andrzej Wajda, also in Polish. Okay, what so... What is Canal? The same character. What's his name? Stach. 
he is now in a concentration camp because I can see the barbed wire. So he's in a constant in this picture that I'm looking at. So I've got a bit of a spoiler. So same character, concentration camp, and him um, fighting to get his way out through like underground means. And there's also like a Nazi person that's actually working for the good guys, for the allies. And yeah, we should say that me saying good guys doesn't mean. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go into... Yeah, Claire's not a Nazi sympathiser. Yeah. yeah. But so working for the Allies and, like, um, secreting people out so he gets in this underground system. And he does get out, but then he actually goes back in to help other people get out. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. That's the story. Before we move on, like, uh, we'll just, I've got some trivia for this one if you're okay. interested. Okay, good, good, good. All right, so... Uh, the film won a special jury prize at the 1957 Cannes Film Festival, uh, tied with uh, Bergman's The Seventh Seal. Uh, you, uh, you haven't seen that one, but you definitely know it's the knight playing the game of chess against death. Ah. Yes, Max von Sydow, that one. Uh, it was also nominated for the Palm Door. It was also nominated for a BAFTA for Most Promising Newcomer for Teresa Azuka. Oh, is Izuska. Is that Daisy? Yes, it is. Oh, fuck she yeah. was nominated for a BAFTA. Good. Uh, we've talked about how it was based on the novel. Uh, the film was an immediate smash hit in, uh, in 1957. It had 4.2 million viewers in Poland. The distribution rights were sold to many countries, including France, China, Japan, Italy, UK, Yugoslavia, blah, 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 blah around the world. Um, this is the most nuts thing. Uh, Teresa was paid the equivalent of $12 a month. Uh, What was everybody else paid? I'm not too sure. Polish authorities bought her one dress and one pair of shoes to help represent the film at the Cannes Film Festival. Because we've got to remember, this is post-war Poland, very poor. Uh, We didn't get into the making of this film, but I was interested to know where it was shot, and especially all those sewer scenes, but also those big, long epic like scenes of just destruction everywhere yeah i'm imagining well I'm imagining post-war poland would have been a pretty poor place yeah and oh imagine watching this in 1957 having been through well not the sewers it's, but having, it's having through, your story told that's it no, yeah. no wonder it had such a you know people following it it would have a been, reaction to it yeah it, oh. um uh, Andrei Weijer himself was a fighter in the Polish resistance movement during, uh, against the Nazis in World War II, and several scenes in the film were based on his experiences. Wow. A lot of the film's crew took part in the 1944 Warsaw Uprising, uh, including cinematographer and a few of the actors. Um, yep, and we've talked about That's the writer. That's crazy. It's, um, the writer, uh, Jerry Stawinski, had... Um, he said in an interview, each of the characters in the film has at least one equivalent or real life ins- of a real-life insurgent he was acquainted with. Fuck. Uh, this, and the, the one thing we haven't got into in this film is how amazingly it's shot. We kind of breezed it. Like, yeah, it, how is it lit? That's why I've seen this. This is now the second and a half time I've seen this film. <laughs> um, because I just sit there trying to figure out how the fuck is the camera moving so smoothly when it's shoulder they're shoulder deep in shit, and how where where are they hiding the lights? How is he 
making this if, film. My question is, is this a soundstage? Is this built for the film? With those long shots of destruction, is this shot in Poland? Is this, where is this? You know, like, it's, it's, you, it is so close after the war that it's, it's mind-boggling. I don't, yeah. The sewer scenes were shot in the, in the backyard of the film studio in Lotz. Uh, the actors had to wander there and uh, threw them forth in uh, wided bathtubs full of water. So essentially it is like, it's a soundstage that they've yeah. constructed to be like this. Thank God, yeah. it's not a real sewer. <laughs> um, in order to not contract pneumonia, uh, all of them had to drink vodka after getting out <laughs> to help brace yes! their body temperatures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting to kind of wrap this all up, uh, the film is largely free of the usual overt communist propaganda uh, present in most films made under the communist uh, in the communist bloc nations uh, post World War Two. The toned down film was made after the death of Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin, and after the fall of the Stalinist Polish regime of the Bolshoi Beirut. Uh, this explains the more relaxed political censorship. Uh, applied against the film so interesting yes so that's why it is less so you know a generation is was very much leaning on that communist uh, slant wow. whereas this one's like no we're just gonna present the story we want to tell of yeah, yeah so nazis um We'll just quickly go through the actual Criterion edition itself. So it is still in print from Criterion uh, as part of the Andre Vajja Three War Films box set. It's also available on the Criterion channel. It comes with Andre Vajja on Canal, a 27-minute exclusive new interview with the director, assistant director Janusz Morgensen, and film critic uh, Jerry Plazuski, uh, Jan Nov... Novak, oh my, I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, Courier from Warsaw, a 28-minute interview by Waja of a Wars, of a Warsaw uprising insider, as well as rare behind-the-scenes production photos, publicity stills, posters, and the usual booklet essays that Criterion usually do. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was really disrespectful. I was on my phone while you were reading that. That's <laughs> so rude. Um, <laughs> so. We have one more Andre Vaja film to go. And we're going to do it now, aren't we? We're going to do it now? Let's do Let's it. Let's just fucking band-aid it off. I'm Let's already in this mood. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, it is time. We're going to take a couple of... We're going to take an hour and a half here now. And we're going to watch Ashes and Diamonds. <laughs> Two hours later. Mm. What was that song again? Andre Vaja, Vaja, Vaja. Andre Vaja, Vaja, Vaja. <laughs> Lee found this one boring. (laughs) (laughs) Jumping into it. Let's do it. Yes. Ashes and Diamonds, 1958. A mere year post-Canal. And a very, very different type of film. Very different. Yeah. I should have maybe warned you a little bit more how different it was. That's okay. I... I definitely struggled at the beginning with yep. the change of tone. Yes, it is a drastically different film in terms of tone and pacing, I would also say. And I guess it's my bad, but like just knowing who everyone was took me way longer than it should have. Yeah, yeah, because, uh, yeah, it, it's a. It, it's. I think that also is a matter of different setting and like style, type of story it's trying to tell, and everything like that. It it folds into the 
we're, we're not. It takes us a while to learn who everyone is. Yeah. We're, we're not presented our characters straight from the get go. Remember when we first started watching? I was like, I'm waiting for my crane shot. Yeah. And you're like, no, no. Nope. Very it's, different. It's not we happy. we we kind of open with well, that's like I'll. Uh, fuck it. We'll go back to the Criterion synopsis while we're into it. I want to get into this now. Um, it's it's that we do have an equally cool opening where it's the shootout at the church and the little girl like, Mister, can you help? And they're like, get out yeah. of here, kid. And then it's like, roll over to reveal machine guns. It's like, oh, shit. And you were like, fuck yeah, car flip and like murder. This is great. And then you're like, oh, no, no. This is a fuck up. Yeah. Like this is, it, it's, it's doing that heightened, cool filmic style for something that is, should not be happening, and they've completely fucked up everything. It's like he likes the false start, doesn't he? Yeah, very much so. Mm. Mm. But uh, I'll, before we get too much further in, jumping back, Criterion Synopsis, let's go. Mm-hmm. A milestone of Polish cinema, this electrifying international sensation by Andrzej Wajda, the final film in his celebrated war trilogy, entwines the story of one man's moral crisis with the fate of a nation. In a small Polish town at the fi- on the final day of World War II, Marsek, a, fight- a fighter in the underground anti-communist resistance movement, has orders to assassinate an incoming commissar. But when he meets and falls, uh, falls for a young barmaid, he begins to question his commitments to a cause that requires him to risk his life. Ashes and Diamond's lustrous monochrome cinematography wreathed in shadows, smoke and fog and spectacular, spectacularly choreographed set pieces lend a breathtaking visual dyna- dynamism? Sure. Di- visual dynamism? <laughs> I can't. We've had a few beers. <laughs> to his urgent incendiary vision of a country at a crossroads in its struggle for self Determination. Whew. Yes. So a very different film. Um, perfectly placed in this trilogy. I mean, if you did anything as brutal as Canal, it'd just be like, well, that wasn't as good as Canal because yeah. Canal. So at least he's gone somewhere very left of centre. Yeah. Of and his centre. And it works perfectly as the final chapter of this trilogy in the sense that it, it's it's one I know we did a week in between doing a generation and these two but it, it would have been almost great to do a full day of it where yeah. it, it, it in the sense of it's a beginning a middle it's and an end yes. and it's all war the beginning it's, of the war balls the, deep in the wall and the final day of the war yeah and then presenting you with all th- all of those perspectives and this one, I think, it, it's the hardest one to probably tackle in terms of what it's presenting to its audience in terms of thematic devices and character development and what it's what it's essentially throwing at its characters. And we say this after just seeing characters wade through shit. Yeah. <laughs> thematic devices, definitely. And yeah. I liked watching this with you because as we were watching, you'd point things out to me... Um, even though you told me <laughs> about that story about watching uh, films with your wife, Claire. Oh, yes, yes. And 
What was the thing that you said? What did that guy just say? What, what, did, did, that, what did that guy say when I said what that guy said? <laughs> so I tried not to do that. but what Oh, I, was... I heard about this one. It turns out the secret code is the nursery rhyme he used to sing to his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I tried not to do that, but I was yeah. lost for a lot of this film. And so I was like, oh, so this is what's happening. And you're like, no. <laughs> yeah, yes and no. It, it's... It, it's a, a type of film that I really like in that it is a deep character study housed inside a World War II or post-World War II kind of almost espionage film. Like, this, this at the core of it, this, this film is a story about these guys have, uh, have a job to assassinate a leader of a communist party. They fuck up that job, so they have to try and make up and go forward with that job, but things complicated in the way. And you're like, cool. Spy movie, great. I'm, I'm totally in on this. But at the core of it, that's, that has absolutely nothing to do with what the film's actually about. Yes. The, it almost has a needlessly convoluted baseline story oh. that has that kind of almost is just there to help really accentuate what is actually going on in the film and what it's trying to get at. I would say the last 40 minutes, half an hour of this film, I loved. Yes. Preceding that, I was a little bit like, hey. Yeah, there's moments of flourishes in certain scenes that stand out, I'm sure. And when but... you said the filmatic devices, like, we'll get into that, but the way he... Yeah, anyway, we'll get into that, we'll get into that. Mm. Um, but yes, the three main characters of this film uh, were introduced to at the beginning of the film with the assassination gone wrong. And then we follow those three characters in the very different way they take the next 24 hours. Yes. That's the thing. This film is set over 24 hours. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it, it beautifully presents... And again, it's one we kept saying, God, we wish Mike was here. Uh, our good friend oh, Mike. man. I was like, okay, wait. So, wait. Communism, right? And I'm like, I'm asking all these questions, but then... Was poly, you know, I have no idea yeah. about history and politics and all that sort of thing around this time. And so I was asking poor Chris, and you, you know a lot more than me, I'll give you that. Oh, but... and I know about as much as I'm like, you know, no, no. <laughs> like, and that's the thing, we always say, like, we are not going away and doing, you know, days of research for every film we watch. It is just our immediate reaction. Yes. Um, um, yeah. This and... one, I was definitely needing some. Some mic help. Some and, mic and, help. And we say mic help. Uh, uh, if you haven't heard uh, quite a while back, like, you know, th there's a reason I got Mike to join us on the Battle of Algiers episode <laughs> where it's like talking about, you know, <laughs> that uprising against the armies and stuff like he he's a he's a history teacher. So yes. he, he's he's no, no, no. Yes. <laughs> um, but yes, he it's one where I, I know very little historically about that or the context of that. And so. I just interpret the film and view the film as not necessarily... Like, there is the giant implications of this is a film that is important to Poland. Like, it's it's right there. It's a milestone in Polish cinema is the opening line of the Criterion yes. synopsis. I don't have the historical or cultural context for that. So being someone in Australia in 2021, I just view it as the... Characters that we're presented with and what they go through. Exactly. And yeah. I... It's a great... The fact that the characters themselves find themselves at disparate crossroads at the end of World War II is clearly allegorical to the country itself at yes. being at a massive crossroad. Yes. 
And so we have the three characters, and uh, Marsek is the sort of the one we follow the most. Oh, Cor McGall with the sunglasses and everything, yeah. What did I call him? Buddy Holly. Yeah. Uh, Criterion described him as coolly charismatic. Coolly charismatic. I would say dickish and um, um, not annoying, but the way he gets uh, Christina to notice him is to be a complete nutter dick. Yeah. If I saw this man in a pub in 2021, obviously... He's it's being not... a different type of cunt cap. <laughs> <laughs> He's being an asshole. If yes. I was Christina in that scene, I'd be like, get this guy out the fuck, get him out of here. Yeah. But it's... <laughs> But yes, I'm okay he's charismatic, be- you know. But he has an arc, man. He sure does. And yeah. I did not like him in the first scene. I'm like, who's this guy in the glass? He's annoying. I hate him. But he's he a bad is guy. Sympathetic as fuck by the end of the film. I love that. Yeah. That's that's an achievement. Because it's a man it's a young man who has essentially grown up during war. Like, it, it's this has been a decade long for him, this struggle that's been going on for him yeah. and his country, and this is all that he has known, and it's finally hit an end, and he, he brings it up. He's like, I've never known what fucking love was or what it meant to be I have in not- love or fall in love, and this is what fucking the world can be? Wait, what? Yeah. Why do I have to go kill this fat guy now? I have nothing... It's almost before he has the conundrum of, should I kill the guy or not? It's... The end of the war is now. Yeah. This is the end of the war. Now, this whole prospect of what do I go home to? And he's, yeah. I, I don't have anything to go home to. And so he says to Andre, mm-hmm. um, can I come back with you? Because I've literally, i got nothing. Yeah, he must have been mm. a young guy when it started. Yeah. It's probably his whole adult life has been during the war. And what's he got without it, you know? Yeah. Um. I really enjoyed that. I, that was something I was like, that's a, that's an interesting thing to present. Yeah. You know. Um, Andre seems to have it all sorted out, would we say? Yeah, Andre is that whole... You, you get presented like the... With um, God, Andre and I'm blanking on Drunkity McDrunk, Drunk's name uh, right Suk- now. Uh, Dronowski. No. Dronowski. Dronowski. Yeah. The, it, it's, <laughs> Andre's the guy who's just like... Uh, I was aware, I, I'm almost hyper aware of the war being over and all of like, this is not a crossroads, this is just a changing of the guard. Yeah. And He's I'm really as cool, to... cold and cut. Ca- like there's that scene, like the scene in the bathroom where, uh, <laughs> where Masek is just like, I'm in love, man. And he's just like, cool? Yeah. Get the fuck up there and kill him. I don't care. Yeah, you could have been in love throughout any of our... Um, you know, moments through this war. It doesn't Just change you're in love anything. Now, it doesn't make a difference because because um, Marsek is worried about being a deserter yeah. and what that will mean. So even if he chooses not to kill this guy, it's probably going to be a similar consequence for him. Yeah, because there's kind of no right answer for him. Because if he's a deserter, then there's implications with that. Yeah, it, it is a literal crossroads. You do not know which way, what the future holds. Either way he goes, but I yeah. just love the whole like. But you, I want you to give me advice. You're my best friend. And he's like, shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. I'm like, we're, I'm your superior. Like, don't play that. He yeah. says, like, don't play that sentimental crap with me. Like, I'm your superior officer. He does say that. Yeah. It's like, what are we doing here, dude? Um, it's so, that's what's kind of so great. The fact that the film 
chooses, and it's the way that uh, Wajja pre- presents it as well. It's a very distant. We're not close with these characters. He's keeping us very distant in a long shot as well. It's like this is cold. We're in a sterile bar environment, like the bathroom. <laughs> like you know, it's you're right. And I think like you know how I said I'm bored. I think it's because I wasn't connected. Whereas in Canal, I was connected straight away. Yeah. I don't know, like, how he did the difference and why he chose that creative choice, but it took me a long time to care. Not just that, but it's, like, on that idea, like, that notion... Sorry, I'm not On that notion of that creative choice, if you... Like, you've literally just watched these two films for the first time back-to-back. If you didn't know that it was the same filmmaker, would that even be evident to you? No. Yeah. That is pretty amazing. That's true. That he, is true. He's able to, he's so brilliantly shifts the style of filmmaking, like the craft of how he's presenting the film to represent a totally different style of film and, and, and the story that he's telling. And I think, you know, if he'd done Canal 2, which you know, he wouldn't do yeah. Canal 2, but like you say, he, he chose to do something in the same sort of vein, whatever, you know, you'd just be like, well, Canal was better. Like, yeah. I think it's good that he's gone so different. He's shooting this almost like Casablanca. Like, there's a, almost a romanticism behind mm. it, a, a, clash, a classical traditionalist way of shooting it. He's not leaning on the hyper-stylization that he'd done in Canal. Instead, it's, like, I, I say Casablanca because it's like the ultimate romantic kind of war film yeah. of like where, where we find ourselves at crossroads with ultimate choices and the main choice there also being love or duty or yeah. you know it's so it, it's kind of almost his interpretation of something like that yeah 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 i get that i see that i but i do concede that especially coming off of the heels of something like canal as a first time viewing not necessarily as entertaining no. Oh, God. If we can call Canal entertaining. Definitely engaging yes. would be the word. Yeah. Um, but you know how I've just watched it back to back? He's pretty much filmed these films back to back to back. He's such a shift. Like, you couldn't make a film like Canal and not be affected by the process. No. And Especially since it's partly autobiographical. Yeah. And like what you were saying before about how... Some of the actors, the director, the writer, you know, these people had been soldiers in the war like yeah i think that's probably why ashes and diamonds has that kind of morbid not morbid but cynical like i was like i was saying to you through this i'm like it's the end of world war ii why isn't everyone popping champagne and going fucking nuts yeah like the last sort of scene in this film where they're drunk and dancing and they've got like streamers everywhere and it's like a lot of ciggy smoke (laughs) that's the end of world war ii i picture but then you made the point of this is poland this is america because i said this is a country that has been destroyed by this war yeah like america like that you brought up the famous image of the soldier kissing the nurse on the street i'm like that's the world end of world war ii image i have in my head that is the end of world war ii whereas this you know if if you've just come off canal and a generation but also you've lived through it you know you're in poland you're not in america like yeah yeah it's it's not it, and that's what's so interesting. Like when when we finally get to something like what you're expecting, this giant celebration thing, it's the upper class. It's the bureaucrats who are now leading the communist party. That it's it's the hey shit is great for us now. We don't see the regular. 
people and how any of them celebrate because it's not necessarily i mean it's a celebration that the war is over but it's but not it's a important. it's not a party no um and that i think the the way that the film perfectly sums that up is the final shot of the porter, a.k.a. Uh, Basil Fawlty himself. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. Working at the hotel. There's that shot, and it's early in the morning, and it's the smoke-filled room, and he proudly unravels the Polish flag to go put it out. Yeah. And it's that thing of he... He, as the character, assumes now that the war is over, everything is back to normal. And it's the saddest image of the silhouette of a man unraveling the na- national flag to put back out, as if... We're every the war's over. Everything's back. And it's like no man, it's not the same. Like yeah. you, your country, you yourself as a person, and these characters that we've gone on with this film, and the, the nation at large. Like the world has, everything has changed. Thanks. It's not going to be reverting back to normal. Like, I think when you're in it, you need to hold on to that. Yeah, but. You're right. Like going through a world war. Yeah. Like and being Poland in a fucking world war. Yeah. Like yeah, it's complete. And you're going into communism now. Yeah. Well, that's it. it it's that the 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 bright eyed idealism, and it's just like you have no idea. This is, yeah. That's what makes image certain images and scenes and the ultimate message of this film of. You know, trying to allegorically explain the crossroads that the country was at at this point in time through the eyes of this young character with Marsek and it just what happens to him at the end of the film he ends up fucking dying like, like it's brutal man the bit where Marsek finally kills uh the guy yeah what the fuck's his name uh Suka Suka Marsek finally kills Suka and you may I have to bring this up because you um mentioned that we cut back to Marsek as he's shooting the gun and there's black void around him. There is no yeah. set piece. There is nothing. It's just the black of night, Yeah, the void behind him. And then as Suka dies, um, the fireworks go off to celebrate the end of World War Two. Fucking amazing oh, shot. Yeah. That whole sequence. Mm-hmm. My God. It's like, it's the end of World War Two. Like you, you should, everyone should just be like, Fuck politics. Let's just scream and celebrate. And mm-hmm. and Vija presents something very different to us yeah, and probably more realistic. Yes. Well, that's the thing. And it's tough for us, to, as like we said, to kind of get all of the political implications, sociopolitical implications yeah, of this film. Know. But it is – that's why I'm like purely from a character perspective. Yes. It's, that's why the fireworks thing going off like that, just on the character basis of like Masek having shot him, it's you've completed your mission. This was all you bragged about in the first half of the film is I don't back down from anything. I'm a man who does that. When they say like, hey, you fucked it up. And he's just like, do I look like a guy who quits when the job isn't done? Mm. He brags about that. And then when mm. he finally does it, he is horrified and shocked and hates that he's done it. Yet it's like, Here's your fanfare, literally yeah. in the shop with you. How do you feel? Like, it's mm. amazing. It is amazing. And that's what I said about the last 40 to half an hour of this film. I'm like, oh, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. But I think it's something on rewatch. It's I a probably, long walk to get there. I think I could pick up on things set early on that I may have not paid attention to on first viewing. And there, you know, like there'd be things that would happen. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, that's why, you know. And so on first viewing, 
you it, know, my twenty first century brain needs a little bit more yeah. <laughs> to be spoon fed a bit more. Oh no, totally get it. This is the second time only second time I've seen this film. Um but it's it's one that I will continually go back to. Yeah. It it's it, there are a couple of Criterion films where I'm like I know this is supposed to be in a great masterpiece, yet I, I, I'm getting. I, I don't. I love. I still really love this film, even yeah. on those first two watchings. But it's like I know that there's still more for me to unpack and kind of decipher from this. So there was like, say, for example, one of the final scenes where the. Um, I mean, we haven't talked about half the characters, but um, they're dancing mm-hmm. at the end of the film. All of the dancers partner up and they walk out of the building, but like stone cold. They look like fucking ghosts. Yeah. Like and leaving. It, that's yeah. got to have, like, this is the thing. Like I picked up on a lot of the things, but I'm not sure I digested them. Yeah. Like I'm not sure the meaning or the purpose. Or... Like, I mean, God damn, the whole sequence at the church. Yeah. Is, like do you mean that? church with the crew, like with the, the G, pul- like yeah. the image of Christ like hanging and swinging in front of them upside down like god damn see I feel like I picked up and I noticed a lot yeah but maybe I didn't completely understand and yeah. I think on repeat viewing I could be like oh but that's why you know and so mm. I feel like I'm a bit flawed with this I don't know this commentary but anyway but but okay the, the thing though at that same point like the fact that you were engaged ultimately with this film, like you weren't like, yeah, it's, it's one that beautifully shot, beautifully made. It grabbed me. It made me question. And it also, uh, tapped into that. Not glorifying war, war heroes, war, any of that. This film, I think just as much as canal has that somber element to it where, yeah, it was finished, but maybe it isn't a celebration. Why the fuck did we have it in the first place? Yes, it's great that it's done with, yeah. but it never should have happened in the first it, place. It's it's like you as a nation are presented with a choice. You can go one of several ways here now. Which way are you going to go? And that choice is presented through the the three characters for us yeah. in the film, and it's it does not end well for any of them necessarily. No. Like, I mean, I guess Andre, the cold calculated nature of it, I guess is the is best he, it ends up, it's but it's the best not good. End, but like you're that person that mm. sucks. And it's the person, the one character in the film that does kind of get it right is Christina, like the barmaid, the post coital. <laughs> I love that. I get to say post coital. <laughs> <laughs> Uma Thurman, by the way. I lo- yeah, Lee pointed out, des- definitely looks like a young Uma Thurman. We're talking like Gattaca age here. Yeah. <laughs> um, she, it, it's that whole thing, like lying in bed, and it's just like, no, I don't love you. Like, this is, I'm not a person for goodbyes, because it's just moving on to the next phase, and it's the next step, and nothing actually ever really changes. You're like, oh, shit, girl, you got it. Yeah. And then it's like after the actual shooting sequence as well, it cuts back to Christina. It's this weird, beautiful long shot of her standing stark in the bar, in the smoky bar, staring directly down camera for like five seconds before the dancers end up coming in. They whip her up and she's just like non-emotional. She's just like, sure. Yeah. It's just like... And I it's guess, fucking Tuesday, guys. Like, yeah, yeah. The war's ended. Great. Mm. This is fabulous. It's it's very it's an oddly bleak anti-war film. 
like presented through with the characters. And it's like the the biggest moment in the war. The war has ended, and we're still yeah. We, it, we're twenty four hours inside a hotel mm. <laughs> as characters are dealing with a sense of nothing's going to change. Do I proceed in the life that I'm proceeding? What is my career after this? Like it, it's such small stakes on this glo- on this grand yeah. thing happening. And I feel like when you're in the war, the war ending is all you think about. But now that the war's ended, what do I have to look forward to? Yeah, I don't know. Especially for Masek, who is a young man who just it's yeah. Hmm. hmm. Anyway, it's a deep and powerful one that is there's. I feel like we've only scratched the surface, but that's all I can do at this point. I, I'm with you, man. It, it's one where there, there is so much more going on. There that is this so almost, much more. It's like if we were better at our jobs, we'd be like, here's a, here's a commentary episode purely on this film. I'm going to go away to... and research <laughs> yeah. and watch this 20 times before we record. That's just not mm. But at the, But also at this point, we've done an entire fucking box <sighs> set, this arc of Andre Vizier. Um, you know, we're running probably close to... I'm just looking at the general runtime. We're, we're probably airing up on close to two hours at this point mm, in an episode. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so I want to ask, like, this... What how, What do you think of him as a filmmaker? Oh, Engaging? He, like, what do you... Yeah. He is... He is... Okay. He is probably my favourite director of war films now. Wow. Because of how he presents them in a non-hero, oh, non-patriotic as yeah, well. Yeah. I feel like maybe a generation a little bit, but it's not about. It's not even about Poland in the end. It's no. just about humans and their interactions and how fucking awful war is. And this is how war should be viewed. And and the fact that off of his first three films as a filmmaker. He's able to so brilliantly present an an absolute triptych of war, mm, beginning, triptych. middle, end. Yeah. Like it's it's a complete story in this box set. This person, this 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 triptych has been told from not just the director's point of view who went through it, but he's also like the literature he's he's chosen to adapt is from people yeah. who lived through it. The actors have lived through it. You know, it's. Yeah, it has an element of realism that is, you know, unparalleled. Yeah. Um, safe to say, out of the three, Canal, your oh, favourite? for sure. Yeah. That uh, is mind-blowing. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I get... I, because that's what has been interesting, like, for the rewatch of Ashes and Diamonds tonight. Um, knowing that I, Ashes and Diamonds is so highly regarded. Mm. Um, but I love Canal so much. That I'm like I, I'm wanting to rewatch Ashes and Diamonds to see if it kind of moves up higher for me or something. It definitely, it, it's definitely garners more on a rewatch. You you mm. unpack more and you pick up more of what's I, going on. Definitely. Um, but I'm still Canal all the way. Oh, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It is. It is horrifying. Yeah. Um, and definitely Ashes and Diamonds is beautiful. It's a beautiful, important, impactful important. film. And, well shot. Oh man, the cinematography in this, it's... I think we brought up, it's because Canal is so flashy. And mm. it, it's so... Uh, for the nature of it, it's in a sewer. So you're trying to pick up, like, how do they do these shots? Where's yeah. the lights? Like, it's, it makes you question the cinematography. Whereas Ashes and Diamonds is so 
subtly beautiful yes. with such striking images. It like there were multiple points in this film where I like yelled out, "It's like, hey, we're watching Cold War right here." Yeah, the, the Pawlikowski film. <laughs> like it's it's clearly an influence in that regard, and yeah, yeah, and you can tell. This would have influenced a lot of directors, I'm imagining. Oh, very much so. Um, mm. Yeah. Do you want to hear Scorsese's talk on it? Ah, uh, yes. Um, yeah, so on the Criterion, uh, doing his top ten Criterions, Martin Scorsese. I had it in the trivia that this is one of Marty's favourite. Marty! As, as if oh, I know first, that man. Yeah, yeah. first name basis. <laughs> I own pretty much all of his movies on DVD, so I feel I have, I've earned the right to call him Marty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, so he's put his number five on his top ten, um, Ashes and Diamonds. Just scrolling down, noticing number three, The River. <gasps> Ooh. Mm. What about um, Red Shoes? Red Shoes, number two. Ooh. Um, but here we go, number five, Ashes and Diamonds. Uh, he says, I saw Ashes and Diamonds for the first time in 1961. And even back then, during the, that period, when we expected to be exto- astonished by films, when things were happening all over the world, it shocked me. <laughs> yeah. It had to do with both the look, uh, it had to do with the look, both intimate and haunting, like a nightmare that won't stop unfolding. The sense of maddening insanity, the absurdity, the tragedy of po- political infighting on the brink of peace and the coming of age during wartime, as well as the beauty of the lead actor. <laughs> <laughs> Does uh, he remain like Masek or? Yeah, yeah, Masek. Yeah, oh. he found him pretty sexy. Uh, <laughs> the film has the power of a hallucination. I can close my eyes and certain images will flash back to me with the force that they had when I saw it for the first time over fifty years ago. I've cr- and then he talks about like meeting Andre Vajer yeah. and like being friends with him and stuff. What did he? And he sums it up with he's the he's a model to all filmmakers. Wow. Yeah. Can you go back and tell me the line that he said, um, something about the end of the war, but internal struggle or something? Oh, yeah. Uh, the sense of maddening insanity and absurdity. The tragedy of political infighting on the brink of peace. The tragedy of political infighting on the brink of peace. Yeah. That is this film. Yeah. And the coming of age during wartime. Mm. Yeah. Marty sums it up really... Good on you, Marty. There's a reason he's Martin Scorsese. I feel like I agree, like... My favourite Criterions, I probably haven't seen the other ones, but, like, yeah, I love The River, I love The Red Shoes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Ashes and Diamonds, really good. I, I would have put Canal first, mm-hmm. but, you know, maybe as a filmmaker, those cool shows, I don't know. Yeah, Ashes and Diamonds, like I said, it, it socio-politically and the way that it's presenting a narrative that hasn't necessarily been explored as... Well, post World War Two, I think, is very important. Mm. Like, like we said, it's an important film, as opposed to necessarily an engaging or entertaining one. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely worth seeing if you've never seen it. One hundred percent. On that note, uh, we should probably find out what someone else thinks it's going to be about. She's <gasps> way the fuck off. Oh, I'm so <laughs> excited. Let's. It's time for to hear what Claire thinks this movie's about. All right, we're gonna throw a we're gonna throw a spanner in the works here. Mm. Because the other, the other artworks gave you a little bit of a tease on what this could be about. Now it's time for Ashes and Diamonds from 1958. Also directed by Andrzej Wajcha, also in Polish. And it's one of the three war films. Yes. But this guy's wearing sunglasses. Yeah, he is. So he flies planes in the war. Um, 
but his job, so he's flying planes. I'm thinking of Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> he's, so he's, he's on a highway, possibly to a zone. <laughs> it could be dangerous. <laughs> so the danger that he's facing is diamonds. Where do you go to? So he's in charge of a mine and he is mining. No, he's in charge of a mine, but then the Nazis come over and they take over the mine and um, they are trying to steal the diamonds that don't even belong to like people yet because I know that the Nazis stole lots of diamonds off many people and like other precious artwork and sorts of things, but he's in the mine and they're trying to steal the mine. I'm thinking also of that picture, that film where they, they have... Um, Artwork hidden in the mine, aren't, mine, aren't I? Um, with John oh, Goodman. Mo- uh, Monuments Men. Monuments Men. I'm thinking of Monuments Men. Oh, okay, yeah. It's like Monuments Men, but old and in <laughs> and Polish. <laughs> in Polish. <laughs> so it turns out George Clooney's a hack that just rips off Andre Weiser films. It's a little bit like Monuments Men, okay. but it's not. But it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very funny, Holly. Yeah. <laughs> Okie dokie. So, as I said, very, very far off. She was closer to Blood Diamond than she was to Axes and Diamonds. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, but um, do you want to hear a little bit of trivia before we wrap this bad boy up? Yes. Uh, so, the film was nominated for two BAFTAs uh, Best Film from Any Source and Best Foreign Actor for uh, Masik. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just, I, I know I should be tr- at least attempting to pronounce his first name, but no. There's I just no it's better not to, yeah. Uh, Sabolski. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's his surname. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and we know how to pronounce that because we have a friend that has that surname. So. We have a friend with Sabolski? Marta. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's Polish. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, it also won the Fopresky Prize at the 1959 Venice Film Festival. Uh, because of the film's nihilistic tone, the Polish authorities were not keen on it being exhibited outside the country until a low-level off, uh, official had a print shipped out to the Venice Film Festival, where it ended up getting huge acclaim. Can you tell me, what does nihilistic mean? Uh, nihilist is like not giving a shit about anything. Gotcha. So, yes. okay, yeah. That's like the basest way to explain nihilism. That's interesting, because I wouldn't call this film nihilist, but cool. What, uh, it's not I respecting mean, the poli- politics of the time, I've done maybe? such a base idea. No, it, it's more a... <sighs> That's fine. Nothing matters, so why? Like, uh, why care? It's the opposite of patriotism. Like <sighs> this film's not very patriotic. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. I'm, I need to look up. Like I did such a bad example of defining nihilism. Uh, nihilism is the belief that all values are baseless and that nothing can be known or communicated. Uh, so I was kind of. Yeah. I just did it in a very dumb colloquial way. Okay. It is often associated with extreme pessimism and a yes. radical skepticism that concerns uh, existence. Yeah, I was going to say pessimistic view. That that makes yeah. more sense. Like the, there's the wonderful thing that like um, there's a great um, YouTube video about optimistic nihilism, yes. which is how I kind of view the world. View the world. Optimistic nihilism is the way to fucking go, everybody. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's pretty rad that they were just like, mm, this is kind of a bit iffy, we don't want this shown, and then a government official was like, fuck this, sneaking a print out. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I could see you doing something like that. Hmm. Uh, Citizen Kane, and in particular Greg Toland, the cinematographer, were, was a huge influence on Andre Varger at the time. 
uh, like Toland, the first thing that the cinematographer uh, Jerry Wozik uh, did was conceive uh, convince production designer Roman Mann to include ceilings in all the sets. Uh, yeah. Formerly, like back in the day in the 30s and 40s, uh, Citizen Kane is famously one of the f- few films to actively show ceilings. Basically, it's you oh, wouldn't put a camera that low oh, or on such shit. an angle that you would act because shit was shot on sound stages. It'd so be there were no the ceilings. Front, like, well, not front on, but yeah, level, yes. level camera. Yes, but then Orson Welles, there's the famous shot of um, Kane at the podium yes. and stuff, and it's like they dug a hole to get the camera so far ah. down. Yeah, and so. Uh, YJ was just like, this shit is amazing. Let's, like, you know, we need to do this for this. Was there a di- director of photography back in those days? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yes. But, yeah, cool. Never mind. Sabolsky, mm-hmm. uh, again, I can't pronounce his first name. I really apologize. Uh, came to be known as the Polish James Dean. Is that Masek? Yes. Ah. A lot of this stemmed from Andre Weiger's direction of the actor, uh, both having seen Dean on screen. Uh, Weiger wanted Sabolsky to emulate Dean's air of, uh, air of difference and apparent non-acting, in quotes, for Ashes and Diamonds. Mm. Mm. Uh, Weiger realized that his leading man, Sabolsky, would be constrained by period costume, so he allowed him to actually wear his own clothes in the film to make him feel more ma- natural. Do you know, that is so interesting. Do you know how we um, watch these uh, films that are, like, set... They're still old, but they're set, like, a certain amount of time after the film... Oh, sorry, they're made a certain amount of time after the film yes. set. And yeah. I'm like, this guy is total 50s. yes. He's a great. He's looking like Fonz. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Christina, normally it's the girls or the women in the that give away the time, mm. um, like with their hairdos and whatever. What's fashionable at the time? But Christina, I would say, was more historically accurate. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Masek was not, and I picked up on that. Mm. Uh, after the film was released, uh, the sale of sunglasses shot up because Sabolski <laughs> consistently wore them throughout the film. <laughs> so I'm guessing, like, in Poland at this time, you're like, this guy is cool as fuck. He's our James Dean. Yeah. Like, he is this hip, cool icon that is representing this nihilistic idea of, like, we ourselves as a country are at a crossroad. Like, he, that's me, Mom! That's me on the screen! Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. And as we alluded to, it's the favourite film of Francis Ford Coppola, one of Martin Scorsese's favourite films, uh, so much so that he showed DiCaprio while making The Departed as his main, uh, as main characters of these two movies have to deal with the same dilemmas. Like the idea of kind of... You wrote a crossroads like you go on and... Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Mm. Uh, but on that note... You got, a, you got a tagline? Yeah, but it's not very good. Okay. At the end of World War II, Masek must decide which road to take. Okay. What's I, yours? Oh, shit. No, I had one, but then I've forgotten it during, during our discussion. <laughs> so, Do you want a minute? Yeah, I'll have a minute. It was something along the lines of, as the war draws to an end, the pressure of a country, the verge of a crossroads, from ashes and diamonds. Something like that. Love it. I don't know. Good way. Eh, meh. Uh, but we'll go into the actual Criterion edition itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, no listener emails have come in in the last four hours since we <laughs> recorded the last part of this episode. Dang. But in the last week since we started recording this, Criterion announced their August releases. 
And Ashes and Diamonds is getting a 4K digital restoration and being released on Blu-ray outside of the box set for the first time ever. Does that mean it gets its own spine number again? Uh, well, each of these individually have their own spine number. The box set is a spine and then all three inside. You mean so. we've squashed this into a Fortnite for no goddamn reason? Oh, no, well, we've just smashed out four <laughs> spine numbers. So. <laughs> but yeah, so in the week since we've started recording this episode, uh, Ashes and Diamonds is now going to be available on as a one-disc Blu-ray come August. Uh, it's also available on the Criterion channel and on DVD inside the Andre Vajja box set. Uh, it comes with, as I said, a new 4K digital restoration on the Blu-ray. On the DVD, you have a restored high-definition digital transfer. Audio commentary from 2004 from film scholar Annette Insdorf. Uh, a new video essay by Insdorf on the film's legacy. That's on the Blu-ray only. Uh, Andre Vajja on... Ashes and Diamonds, a 2005 program featuring Andre Vajja, assist uh, second director Janusz Morgensen and film critic Jerry Plazuski. Uh, archival newsreel footage on the making of the film, rare behind-the-scenes production photos, publicity stills, posters on the DVD, uh, as well as the usual booklet and essay that Criterion usually do. That's epic. It's a pretty good edition, yeah. Hmm. But that wraps us up. We have wrapped, knocked out... Four spine numbers in one go, which means we are up to spine number 286 in the next episode, which is Petro Germi's 1961 film, Divorce, Italian style. (laughs) Yay, something different. (laughs) Can I just say, I love how we like push through this week and it's just like, it's not like we're going to get to the end any faster. They keep adding films. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it's just a... (laughs) Just keep. It's. I just think of like Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. Yeah. Just keep swimming. <laughs> That's all this is. Yeah. But no. Um. There's there's a few coming up. We after Divorce Italian Style. We're on a stint of docos. Actually. That'd be a nice change. It has been a very fucking long time. Because you would very Tom long time. Love the docos, didn't you? Yeah. There were very few early on, and it's been well over a year to two years since the last documentary. So wow. I am. And I have all three on DVD, and I love them, and I'm looking forward to them. Oh, cool. So... I like when they're good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but um, at the beginning of this episode, before we dived into them, I said I predicted that you were going to like one of these, maybe, and love one of these. Okay. The like was Ashes and Diamonds, and Canal was love. Was I right? Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, that's funny. I would have thought, like, yeah, no, but that is exactly right. I I know, I you, I know loved, your taste in film. Like, I yes, you. you do. Yeah. You, I loved Canal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy. Would you say you finally hit a filming criterion that blew your socks off? Yeah, fuck yeah. That's what we want to hear. Yes. Oh, isn't it nice? <laughs> finally. It only, took, <laughs> it only took a year. Yeah. Oh, my God. Is that how long it's been? It's, it's been about that, yeah. We're getting wow. up to that, yeah. Um, but... I guess that'll wrap us up for this episode looking at Andre Vajja, three war films. We um, did it, guys. We did it. We did it. It's an epic. <laughs> <laughs> an epic of epic proportion. Yeah. Um, but uh, we mentioned him earlier in the episode as someone who should have been uh, on these to help us with historical context. Mike has just recorded a... He's jumped on our last uh, Patreon commentary, which will be out uh, about when... Yeah, it'll be out now when you guys... When this episode drops. So. Yes, it's about um, our final trilogy of the trilogies. Mm-hmm. And uh, we flipped a coin and it was, uh, we either watched Raiders of the Lost Ark 
or the Temple of Doom. And I won and we got Temple of Doom. And so you can listen to me argue why Temple of Doom is the best one, contrary to popular belief, as and well as Chris's. As well as Chris's fervent arguments <laughs> that it's not it only... Gets oh, I evoke it being almost equal to Crystal Skull. <laughs> <laughs> So Mike is there to interject with balance and hilarity. So yeah. uh, if you're interested in listening to that, head over to patreon.com slash the Criterion Quest. Um, as always, I'll link to it in the episode description. Otherwise, Lee is still killing it over on our Instagram account at Criterion Quest. Sorry, at the Criterion Quest. You can follow me on Twitter at Criterion Quest. Or uh, send us an email. As we said, we love hearing from you guys. Uh, that's thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Otherwise, we'll be back in a fortnight's time with Divorce Italian Style. Now, tell me that's the name. It is literally the name. Oh, I am in. It just, uh, all I'm imagining is it's the same as a regular divorce, but more meatballs. <laughs> now he's racist. I love it. Yay. Yay. Finally. Quest. <laughs> um, thank you for listening, everyone. For this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. We'll see you next time. Widzisz te gruzy na szczycie, tam wróg twój się kryje jak szczur. Musicie, musicie, musicie za kark wziąć i strącić go z